Welcome to episode 88 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on July 5th, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com. And 50% of this here show with me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. How you doing, Corey? Hello, Brad. I am doing well. I'm thinking once again about how you and I read the intro so differently. And I think I don't I don't think I can actually do this, but I keep thinking that every time it's my turn to host that I want to do. <clears throat> I want to like go all in on a really serious, deep, like NPR voice for the intro. But I don't know if I could keep a straight face through the whole thing if I were reading it. We should try to switch it up one week, like one week. I'll be like quiet and i'll be calm and like really you know sane and then you do like the crazy like high energy and we'll see if anybody notices perhaps <laughs> all right well we will decide that on another day um we just got done recording a bunch of banter uh so before we start the show just a reminder to everybody listening if you are the kind of person who enjoys our non-game related ramblings and various misadventures you can catch our banter after the ending music plays, uh, just keep listening past the quote-unquote credits, and you'll have it. But for now, um, we're not going to waste any more of your time. We're going to get right down to what I hope and assume you came for, the games chat. So we've got a lot to talk about this week as we get back into our regular schedule. Uh, let's just kick things off. Corey, you ready to roll? I am ready to roll, Brad. Wonderful, wonderful. So the first topic up today is one of those rare birds that we both have played and both are ready to talk about. It seems like that doesn't happen as often as it should, but I'm very glad that it happened uh, this week. And the subject is The Awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit. This was a free download put out by Don't Nod Entertainment, the people who made Vampire, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, and also the people who made Life is Strange. And also, remember me, these guys are really up-and-comers and really uh, garnering a large fan base. And not without good reason. Uh, so, Captain Spirit was something they announced at the recent E3. And they said that this was kind of a... Kind of like a standalone series to help get people to see what they're doing with Life is Strange. Now, although this does not function as a sequel to either of the previous Life is Strange narrative time travel games... Uh, this is in the same universe, and apparently the star of Captain Spirit, who is a little boy, will be in some capacity in future Life is Strange games. So they let this out uh, to the public for free to give them a kind of taste of what they're doing, see what kind of story-oriented, choice-oriented gameplay they're coming up with. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a standalone thing. You can finish it in about an hour or two hours. And Corey and I have both played it, which is amazing. So... Uh, that's basically the gist of it. Corey, um, first of all, before we get into Captain Spirit, do you have any experience with Don't Nod or with Life is Strange specifically? I played the demo for Life is Strange, uh, the first, not the prequel before the storm, but the first, like, I guess, I don't know if you call it like a season or series of Life is Strange. Um, they had a demo of it and I don't know how long it was, but... I played, it's basically just like the beginning of episode one of that. And I played it and I did not finish the demo because the writing in it is so horrible. I could not, I couldn't, I could, I couldn't even, I could not even Brad, 
the writing <laughs> is so and I think I feel like we talked about this on the show a really 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 long time ago but I went into that demo and came out thinking that it felt like it was written by a bunch of like oh god like 55 year old white men who thought they knew what hip young female teenage lingo was and it just fell super flat for me and i know the game has a huge fan following i know like everybody on twitter is like oh i cried in every episode and it's so sad and apparently there's like some lesbian shit in it which you know i'm all for um you know on like gay rights issues and everything but (coughs) i just could not get past the god-awful writing in it and i couldn't even finish the demo All right. That was uh, what a lot of people said at the time, um, for sure. I remember many, many people feeling that way. I did play the first episode in its entirety, and I had a similar feeling. I didn't really like the writing that much, and I remember having some issues with the gameplay, which we will actually talk about when we talk about Captain Spirit. So I kind of bounced off of it and I didn't think too much about it. But after the second and third, I think ultimately there were five episodes in the first season. um, People really came around on it pretty strong by the time that episode five came out. And I was seeing a lot of people talking about it like as a series for like a game of the year consideration or or at least something that people definitely should play in a critical sense. So I bought it. I'm going to come back to it because I heard enough people say that, yeah, it was rough in the beginning, but it got so much better towards the end that I, I would be willing to give it a second chance. So I will I will come back to it at some point. So with that in mind, um, we both played Captain Spirit. And like I said, it's about a little boy. Well, I'll give you the, the gist of the story. And then, Corey, I'd like to hear your impressions. Um, so so what happens in Captain Spirit? Uh, again, free to download on, I think, pretty much every system. You start off as a little boy, and I don't remember what his name is. Do you remember what his name is, Corey? I want to say it's Chris. It could be Chris. That sounds right. Okay. <laughs> so you play as this kid, possibly named Chris, and he is home <laughs> with his dad. It's like a cold winter day, and he's not in school. He's got, you know, it must be Christmas break or something like that. School's out. And he wants to just play all day long. So he has some toys. His dad's watching a basketball game. And you're just kind of like let loose in his house to do whatever you want. You start off in Chris's room and there's stuff scattered about that you can look at. He wants to um, pretend to be a superhero. He calls himself, I think he calls himself Captain Spirit or whatever. And he pretends to have like telekinetic powers. And so you're just kind of roaming around the inside of his house, looking at stuff, clicking on dialogue. And you can have like a bunch of different choices you can do. And if you don't know what to do, you can push the touchpad and it'll give you like six or eight different objectives in the house that you can do. So in case you need a little bit of guidance, you can look at those things. It'll give you an idea to point you in the right direction. Um, so it's third person, uh, and very limited inventory, not a lot of, I don't think there was even maybe like one or two QTEs, not very much, but kind of just like exploring the environment, almost like a modern day point and click sort of a thing. So Corey, uh, what was your general impression of Captain Spirit? Okay, Brad, I have a secret to tell you, and you can't tell anybody I told you this. I'm not going to tell a word. No one knows. Between you and me, that's it. All right. Um, I I didn't finish this demo because I thought it was boring. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is a really short demo. How far did you get? Um, I made it outside at one point. I was playing with stuff in his room. I finished his superhero costume 
and I had breakfast with the dad or breakfast he cooked for his son. And then I like bounced around in the house some more and I didn't really know what to do because it gives you objectives, but they're not really like concrete on what to do. And, like, there were, like, some toys on the floor in his room, and I picked up the toys and started playing with them. And then it entered this, like, really, like, kind of, like, long and uninteresting cutscene where it's just, like, you watching him play with his toys. And I was like, okay, this isn't interesting. And then there was a different toy on the floor, and I was like, well, I'm not going to play with that toy because I just saw what happened when he played with those other ones. Like, I don't want to sit here and watch this 30-second cutscene of this, like, kid, like, you know, moving his Hot Wheel cars around on the floor. It's not interesting. And so I went outside and like, there's a tree house. There's a snowman out back. There's a tree house. I like uh, rebuilt the snowman a little bit. I went up in the tree house and there's like some stuff to look at. And then there's like a point where he like sits on the ledge of the tree house and he's like looking out at like the snowy landscape. And this like song starts playing and it's just like all these camera angles of the neighborhood and i was like this is not interesting to me at all maybe i'm too old for this um i and so once like the little song was over i like i think i took him back inside and then i turned it off <laughs> so you were not won over by the emo soundtrack and the very obviously intended to be emotional little vista point where you're supposed to just be contemplative and just take in the scenery and feel at one with at one with, you know, the world and find inner peace. You didn't that moment didn't grab you. It, well, it didn't grab me because I don't think it quite earned the moment yet, because by the time I got up to the treehouse, I like still didn't really understand what was going on or what I was supposed to be doing. And so it like the treehouse like part like it wanted you to be like introspective and like warm and um, you know, kind of like light and I don't know, maybe like intimate, if you will. But I felt like the, the demo thus far hadn't really like done anything to earn like that payoff of like, oh, I feel good. Just like sitting here, like listening to this like emo acoustic song while this kid sits in the treehouse. And the one like big part that you're leaving out, which I'm sure you'll get to or whenever you, we talk about this more, is that like the game, like probably like 15 minutes into the game, it very strongly strongly alludes that his father is like an abusive drunk which is interesting because like when you first go out to have breakfast with your dad he doesn't this is going to be the maybe the dumbest thing i've ever said on this show he doesn't look like an abusive drunk like he seems like a cool dad like he's like young <laughs> oh we're gonna get we're gonna get email about that one <laughs> i know he he i mean he's like a young he's a younger dad he looks too young in fact to have a child this old because the the kid looks like he's about 13 or so i would say and so like the, the dad looks too young to have like a 13 year old son and he's got like a cool beard and he's wearing like a cool sweater and they're like making jokes about like how his dad like kind of can't cook and it's kind of like a haha you know like of course you know stereotypical dad like doesn't know how to cook and then it does this really sharp like left hand turn where the dad like looks at the son's arm and there's like a bruise like a handprint bruise and the dad makes, and he's been like drinking beer and it's like early in the morning. So that was like the first red flag, even though I'm guilty as charged of drinking beer in the morning too sometimes. But, uh, but, and then like the dad like looks down like out of nowhere while the son is eating his breakfast. And he like asks the son like, oh, did anybody at school ask you about that? And it just like, 
it's like it has zero subtlety like it's like going from this like oh this is kind of a cool dad you know he just made breakfast haha into like oh he's probably abusing his son and he's worried about if like his teachers at school see the bruise on his arm and it just felt really forced and it felt like it came out of nowhere but it did like kind of like scare me to the point where the dad, because after that, the dad like sits down in front of the ha- in front of the couch and watches like a basketball game or something, and he's like in the living room, like dr- like literally drinking whiskey at like eight o'clock in the morning, um, like watching this basketball game, and like you have this idea that he's probably abusive, and so like I didn't really like want to do anything in the house to like aggravate the father. Like there's like a dart gun on the bookshelf in the corner, and if you walk up to it, there's like a prompt that says like you know, like, shoot darts at dad or something like that. And I was like, I'm not going to shoot darts at this guy. Like, he's probably going to, like, beat me to death. Like, and and this is also me coming straight off of um, Detroit Become Human because there's, like, literal drunken father-child abuse in that game. And I was like, I'm not going to do this. Like, what kind of dumbass would I be if I, like, my dad's, like, an abusive drunk and I'm, like, shooting darts at him with this dart gun in the house? So, like, I didn't want to, like, do a lot in the house because I was kind of, like, scared at what the dad would do. And I didn't really, like, want to toe the line of, like, watching, like, any kind of child abuse or anything like that in the game. So that's when I went outside and, you know, like, went, um, you know, up in the treehouse. And then it did this weird, like, introspective, like, emo music thing. And I was like, what the fuck is even going on in this game? So I just stopped playing it. <laughs> Very interesting. Um, because I had the same sort of reaction. So, so just full disclosure, my dad actually was an abusive drunk in the real life. So this definitely kind of like, I don't want to say that it triggered me, but I was like, oh, Jesus, like, I don't know, you know, like I was, I'm definitely sensitive to this kind of, this kind of content. Um, so when I found, yeah, like you said, like he starts off seeming like a cool dad and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, he's drunk. Oh, wait a minute. This kid is covered in bruises. Oh, wait a minute. It's the dad that really put a different spin on things. So, I mean, it's interesting that they tried to go that route in such a short demo. I mean, this game is only like, you know, hour or two hours long or something. But it definitely did make me very hesitant to do anything in the house because for exactly like you said, I was like afraid of pissing off the dad because I was waiting for him to snap and like, you know, start beating up the kid or yelling at me over nothing that was really my fault, you know, because that's what, you know, certain drunk dads do. So it's funny that we both had that reaction. Um, Although I, I did press ahead because I did think that it was interesting to see a lot of this game from the perspective of a child and full disclosure, my son was beside me as I played through this and I wasn't sure if it was going to be appropriate or not, but we really believe in parental guidance in this house. And I figured that drunk people are a real thing and people getting abused is a real thing. So even if that did come up, I would be right next to my son and we could talk about it. And we did like, he had questions and we talked about it a lot. He asked about the bruises and I explained that, you know, some dads are like that and you know, I'm not. And, some are and you know like you know just we kind of covered that so it was a good learning moment um so i really appreciated that some of those issues it brought up gave me an opportunity as a father to kind of discuss those things and to see examples um that were kind of like you know relatively safe like i didn't have to actually see like a bruised child in real life to discuss the potential of you know parental abuse or something like that so from that aspect it was interesting and i also i did kind of also enjoy the sense of being a child going through the environment like trying to dress up in a costume because my son plays dress up all the time so i thought that was pretty cute that the guy in the game like makes a helmet or a mask he gets a cape or whatever i mean that was really like very very relatable to me and like playing with the toys and a lot of the stuff that the kids said in the game i could very easily imagine my own son saying like in real life so i kind of enjoyed it from that perspective 
And the kind of like seeing through a child's eyes I thought was pretty good. But actually playing, like literally playing, I, I did not enjoy it that much. And it really reminded me of one of the things that I really disliked about Life is Strange uh, is that when I play these games, I kind of play them like like as myself, like what makes sense to me. Like, I don't go through these games and poke in every single corner, and I don't click on every single thing, and I don't read every single piece of dialogue. Like, I want to play it in a way that makes sense. And I find that if you play it that way, you are at a real disadvantage because you are going to miss out on things that are not obvious. And so I didn't want to do anything that was going to disturb the dad, so I tried to avoid some of those activities. I didn't want to, like, mess with his phone, or I didn't want to shoot him in the head with darts, and I didn't... I was like, I was even afraid to go outside because I was like, well, what if he gets mad that I'm opening the door or whatever? And so I, I didn't want to do that. And also some of the things just seemed really boring. Like, why would I look at the wax paper in the kitchen? Like, there's nothing interesting about that. I'm not, I'm a kid. I'm not going to go look, look at the wax paper. <laughs> but if you didn't click on every single thing in the house, you missed out on a lot of the things that would advance the story. So that was exactly what happened to me in Life is Strange as well. Like I finished that first episode. And when I got to the episode, I had only done like half of the uh, available activities. And I'm like, whoa, how did I miss so much stuff? Well, it's because I wasn't being fucking nosy all the time. Like when I see somebody <laughs> throw something away in the garbage, I don't go pick it up and read it. I'm like, they threw it away. I'm not going to bother them. That's not my business. You know, like you can't play these games thinking that things are not your business. You have to be a complete fucking snoop, uh, which is, a, you know, it's hard for me. Like it doesn't feel good and it's not how I play. So that was difficult. And I will say also that there were two points in this game where I got really completely fucking stuck. And I, that happened to me also in the original Life is Strange as well. Uh, at, at two points in this game, you have to find numerical codes. And not only is that a stupid thing, because in real life, numerical codes can be anything. I know that in games, they always want you to, like, look around your environment or use a clue or go back and review the dialogue and someone will tell you a clue. That's not realistic. I mean, if you were to pick up my iPhone... There is no way in hell you would ever guess what my fucking unlock code would be. If you went to my computer, there is no way in hell you would ever guess what my fucking password would be because it's not my birthday. It's not my wife's name. It's not anything that anybody would guess. And I don't have it written down next to the computer. And it's not, you know, it's not like on the brim of my hat or anything. Like it's not anywhere you could find it. And so in my head, it didn't make sense to look for the codes in the house because why would anybody do that? Uh, but one of those codes, you had to just find a random number in the house and then just assume that was the code. And the other code, which was the one you needed to unlock your dad's phone, because that was one of the objectives, there was literally no clue anywhere in the game what that was. You had to just, like, make this intuitive leap and just guess at what it was. And I'm sorry, but, like, no one's phone unlock code is, like, 16 numbers long. Like, that's just not how a phone works. So I got really, really stuck, and I had to look up a walkthrough for this, like, one-hour demo. And I'm like, man this is not fun. Like this should be just about the experience. It should be pretty free flowing. It should let me get through it. No problem. And getting stuck twice in the demo did not give me a good feeling, but overall I thought it was interesting. Um, I'm not going to spoil how it ends, but there is definitely a little twist at the end. And I still want to go back and play life is strange just to kind of see what I missed out on. Because like I said, there were a lot of people who gave that a gold star. Um, after playing this Corey, it doesn't sound like you're interested in seeing more of Chris or more of Life is Strange. Are, were you motivated at all to go back and check out the other stuff? Would you be interested in playing this kind of thing from Don't Nod? I would not be. That is what I thought. And <laughs> that is why we are a good balance on the So Video Games podcast. So I don't have anything else to say. I mean, other than the fact to just remind people it's free. It's like one or two hours. You can check it out. And don't bother searching for those codes. Just look them up online because they're bullshit. But I do. I mean, I thought it was worth playing. 
uh, especially since it's free. Would you recommend it or nah? I I wouldn't because I didn't like it. But I this is the kind of game where I can see why people would let why, why people would like it. Same thing with Life is Strange, but it's just not it's not to my taste. Which that's not to say that I'm too like highbrow for a game like this because I talked about Detroit Become Human and I liked it a few weeks ago and that's like not. <laughs> It's like not the game thinks it's highbrow, but it's not in any way. Uh, so I, it's just not. I just I'm just not interested in the kinds of stories that these games seem to be telling. I guess is what I can say. Gotcha, gotcha. Fair enough. So that's all we have to say on Captain Spirit, but you can check it out for yourself. Download it. I think it's on PC, Xbox One ps4 and it is free and it's only like one or two hours you could get through it really quickly uh before we get to the next topic Corey, just a quick question because now that you mentioned detroit um gamefly actually sent that to me and i wasn't sure that i wanted to start it just really quickly how long does it take to finish that not like you know not seeing all the different endings or whatever but just like you know if you want to just one and done go through it once like how long do you think that game is mm, man i wish i would have been keeping count whenever i played i want to say it's like in the ballpark of like 10 hours or so wow okay okay Good to know. I may play that this week. I may not. We'll see. I got some other stuff lined up. But anyway, moving on. Um, last week, you talked about Prey kind of unintentionally because I think the original goal was to have you talk about Moon Crash, which is the DLC. We had a little bit of a screw up with PR. They sent us the wrong code. We couldn't access the game, etc., etc. But we've got that squared away. And as far as I know, you have has you have spent some time with Moon Crash. Is that correct? Yes, I've spent approximately nine and a half hours with Moon Crash. So, Corey Motley, after 9.5 hours of Moon Crash, uh, the DLC standalone, although you do need to have the actual main game, uh, what do you tell us about Moon Crash and what you thought of it, sir? All right. So, I, I want to point out before we even begin that last week, I, like you said, I was talking about how um, uh, Bethesda PR sent an Xbox One code for the DLC, even though they gave me a PlayStation 4 code for the original game that I reviewed last year. And so their answer to that was to give me the Prey Deluxe Edition code for Xbox One. So now, thanks to Bethesda, I have two copies of the game Prey, one on PlayStation 4 and one on Xbox One, and I have a copy of the DLC on Xbox One, which seems incredibly ridiculous to me but i'm not mad because now i have two copies of this game that i like but it did not seem like the appropriate solution and i don't know like sony must have done something to piss bethesda off because for them to like make such like a hard turn and keep giving out microsoft codes instead of just giving the playstation 4 code that they were originally giving out just really baffles me yeah, I don't know what happened. That was really weird, but, I mean, I don't know. I mean, at least they came through and finally hooked you up at the end. So, I guess after all that nonsense, like, was it worth it? What it, What do you think? I mean, first off, what is it about, and was it worth it? Okay, so, Prey Moon Crash is a DLC that is unrelated, for the most part, to the main plot. It's not like a continuation of the characters. It's not like a prequel or anything. Um, it is a... A roguelite, which is interesting because if anybody's at all familiar with me on the show, you know that I'm not into roguelikes or roguelites, and Brad, you are. Um, but this is kind of an interesting mishmash because Prey was my number two game of the year last year. I really adore it. I've played it twice. I've played it more on top of just playing it twice. Um, but I don't like 
roguelites. So it's like, here we have the setting and the mechanics for a game that I love in a game mode that I don't love. Um, but the point of Moon Crash is you play as a guy who's on uh, sort of like a satellite base outside of the moon. He lives, he's contracting for a company and he lives in like a really tiny kind of like space station room. It's basically just like a bunk bed, a computer and like a restroom and that's it. And the people that he works for, they send him a, uh, a little uh, robot drone thing. And these are in the main game too. And he hooks it up to his computer and it lets him run a simulation of an outbreak that happened on the moon of the, like the, I forget what they're called, like the mimics and stuff, um, like the alien outbreak on the moon and so technically like you're playing as him playing kind of like a vr game if you will but really you're playing as like the characters in the simulation so you start out there's five characters you start out with one and you have to find the other characters in the simulation in order to unlock them for future playthroughs and the big big like meta objective here is to go through an entire playthrough with each of the five characters without dying and getting them all off the moon because there's several escape methods for getting people off the moon like there's escape pods i think there's like two or three escape pods there's a shuttle that you can just manually fly out there's like a this like alien portal thing that you can like open this containment unit and like jump i guess you like jump into it i haven't done this thing yet but you like get into it and i guess it like teleports you somewhere there's a computer system where you sit in a chair and it like uploads your consciousness into this like computer drone thing and i mean technically that's that counts as a way for you to get off the base so there's uh there's all different kinds of stuff like this and the objective the big objective is to get all five people off in one run but there's a lot of variables going on with this um so wait a minute so that sounds like a lot i mean are you able to switch between them at will once you get them unlocked or how do you even how do you even get five people off when you're only able to control one at a time, like, cause this is still first person, correct? It's still first person. And the, the big answer to your question is, I don't know, because this, I, <laughs> I, I like, I like Prey Moon Crash. I like it. I don't love it, but the more I play it, the more insurmountable that objective seems to me. And let me explain why, because there's a lot of stuff going on in this. It's a roguelite in the sense that you have, like, once you unlock the five characters, um, they each have their own like beginning loadouts um you know like one character has it's kind of like he's a security guard so he has kind of like an assault loadout he's got a shotgun shotgun shells um a lot of his uh neuromod powers because each character has their own neuromod powers that they can unlock too like his neuromod powers are more like action based and more tactical and there's like um um, there's like a, a janitor woman. She's not a janitor. I'm thinking of somebody else, but there's like an engineer woman and she like starts with the wrench and she starts with like a little jetpack thing. And she like has her own neuromod, uh, you know, set that you can do. And if you start playing as one of these characters, if you die at any point in the simulation, the, the character dies and then it boots you back to the menu to select one of the other four characters to play as if you have all four of them unlocked. So you can keep playing until all of them die or all of them escape, or you can uh, you can reset the simulation on your own if like things are way too hot and heavy. But the the interesting thing is that a lot of the gear that's around the world, and this is a pretty big like let me set up the scale for this real quick because it's a pretty big 
area to explore. You start in like a like a little engineering room and you exit into kind of like a little crater area. And those are two like pretty safe zones for the most part. And then you go through a hallway and it goes to a big central crater area. And then you have three um, like levels that are off the crater area. You have a, a laboratory area, you have the crew quarters, and you have like a mining facility kind of area. And you can get to one of those from the central crater area. And you can either go back to the crater to go to one of the other ones, or there's a tram system that runs where you can just go directly to one of the three areas. But there's a lot of variables. Like sometimes the tram won't be working. So you get there and you have to like solve something to get the tram working. Um, sometimes one of the areas won't have any power at all. And so you have to go back to the central area cause there's like a power station. You have to get these like battery things to put in. There's just like a lot of stuff. And then to top it all off, there's a corruption level in the system itself in the simulation. And there's five levels of corruption and it takes about 10 minutes or so to get up to each level. And every once in a while you might stumble upon, there's like a, manifestation of what looks like an hourglass in the game and if you use it it sets back the corruption a little bit it won't dial it back an entire level but it'll dial back the meter some so if you happen on those then it's pretty a pretty good tactile thing but if the corruption gets up to level five and then it gets up to level six the simulation crashes itself completely if it gets up to level six so not only are you trying to get all five characters off the base without any of them dying you are fighting Time. Time is against you because you have to do it before the corruption meter gets all the way up. And every time the corruption meter goes up a level, the enemies get harder and more abundant. So it's like really... To, to get out, you it's re, you really, really have to be tactical, but you also have to plan really well, and you have to hope that like the random drops for stuff uh, really go your way. But the thing that makes it a rogue light instead of a rogue like is if you find neuromods in the environment and use them to power up your special abilities, those power-ups stay even if you die and even if you reset the simulation, you keep those power-ups. You don't keep the neuromods, so you have to use them, but you keep the power-ups that you get from them. So that's kind of a good thing that works to your advantage. And you also get points for everything you do. You get points for hacking computers. You get points for killing things. You get points for escaping. You get points for finding dead bodies. Um, you get a lot of points. And anytime you start... Um, a new run with any character, there's like a whole roster of stuff that you can buy and you can discover things in the environment that lets you buy more stuff later on. So you can start, you know, and you can buy like a shotgun and a bunch of shotgun shells and a bunch of medical kits and you can buy little um, chips that you plug into your suit that give you special powers, like they increase your suit integrity or they make you like not uh, burn or break your bones as quickly and stuff like that. So there's like a lot of things you can do to really prep for it. Um, but this game, it's really hard. Um, I enjoy it. I think it's interesting. And one thing that I really like about it is every character has their own unique story objective, but you don't have to get all five of them out to complete that story objective. Like, for example, the uh, security guard assault guy, like his story objective is to get uh, is to escape. Like they all involve them kind of escaping in a certain way. And his involves getting in this like containment unit and he has to like stock it with food. And then the containment unit gets launched out into space and he uses that to kind of like get to the moon or get to... Um, get to some, I don't know, station or something like that. And every time you unlock one of their story objectives, there's just like little tidbits of story that get unlocked, but also more variables 
in the environment unlock for the next time around, which often make things more difficult. Um, so, I mean, there's so much stuff going on here, and I know I just explained a lot of stuff, and I know you're more into the roguelike and light category than I am, but um, before I talk anymore, is there anything, any questions or anything that I should clear up about anything so far? No, I th- I mean, I think I'm with you. Um, I think I'm following. I mean, it sounds okay, I guess, but like, for me, I, I wasn't a fan of Prey, or I'm not really like the biggest fan of the style of game in general, and like, from what you're describing, it sounds like nine degrees of awful to me like <laughs> with the the corruption and the different uh, uh i'm listening to you i'm like oh god i don't want to play this at all like i just i want to get away from this um so i hear what you're saying and it makes sense and i assume i mean to answer my own question i guess i mean it seems like maybe you take one of the characters if you escape you just automatically start with like the next one and just have to go through them in a row or something like that but uh i don't know i mean like overall I know you're not big on, I mean, I don't know, like, what is, what is your 10,000 foot view of this? I mean, what do you, like, how do you feel about it overall? Well, the interesting thing is, like, this is a category of game that I don't like at all, but because it's Prey, I really just uh, loved the idea of having a new area to explore, because the areas in this, uh, in this DLC are not recreated from the game itself. It's, like, totally new space, so... Having these characters to play as, each have their own unique abilities, each start with their own weapons, and just being able to like explore a new base and you know kind of like real because i mean in a in a game like this there's a lot of pressure and the stakes are really high and i really appreciate that because i like occasionally um i like when stakes feel high in a video game i mean in this one if you die you die you know you move on to the next character and then if you die with one character you automatically forfeit um, the chance to get all five of them off unless you reset the simulation yourself and try over. So exploring everything made me really happy because it was more of that gameplay that I really loved, you know, uh, getting in and out and kind of stealthing around and reading people's emails and searching cabinets and, you know, looking for alternate routes to get in and out of areas and having like a vague idea of what kind of objective you had to solve, but really like figuring out and you know how to get there or how to do it or whatever. But the more I play it, the more I'm realizing how how absolutely I mean, the best word I can think of, and I've said it before already, is just insurmountable. Like how insurmountable it'll be to actually get all five of these characters off the base because it the game only gets harder the longer you play it because of the corruption levels going up. And like sometimes there's, you know, the, the drops are random every time, like, it's st- the loot you pick up off of dead people is random every time you start the simulation back up. And so, I mean, it, it just, like, there's just, like, a little bit too much luck involved for me to really, like, super duper get on board. But with that said, I mean, I played it for nine and a half hours. Like, that's a really long time to play a game. You know, so that definitely says something. Like, whenever I played it, it reminded me a lot of the first time I played Prey, where I would sit down and play it in, like, eight-hour chunks, and I just loved getting around and exploring and just seeing the ins and outs of the base. Um, But with this game, like, I don't like it as much as that because it's a different scope of gameplay. But, I mean, I still like it, and I still recommend it, I guess is what I'm trying to say here, is that if you liked the original Prey, I think this is good enough i mean a lot i've seen a lot of people online like writing reviews and tweeting about how like you know this is prey at its best and like i honestly don't think that's true i don't think that the roguelite category is prey at its best but i do think it's an interesting spin on 
the regular game that kind of makes you play it and think about it in a different way. But there's just a lot of variables involved and a lot of objectives involved that make it very difficult and very um, just complex to get around. And like solving some of the people's story objectives is just really difficult. Like there's one character where I was talking about the mimic portal earlier. Like one of the characters, their story objective is to, to exit through the mimic portal. But the shitty thing is that the mimic portal, the mimic is in a like broken containment unit. So you have to hack or you have to repair the broken containment unit and then you have to hack the computer that manipulates the containment unit. But the character that you need to get out through the Mimic Portal does not have the repair nor the hack abilities. So you have to make it one run through and repair it with one character with the repair ability. Make it through a second time with the character with the hack ability. And then make it through a third time in order to get this character off the base going through that portal once it's open. And it's just like, so there's just so much going on that it's really hard to like, see myself wanting to commit to that and play it enough to like, really see that kind of objective through. But I do like what's going on here, but it's just, the gameplay is just a little too different for me to like, love it, but I do like it. Wow. Okay. Well, I am definitely out, out, out on this one. I didn't like the main game. And God, from what you're saying, it just sounds like the kind of thing that I am 100% not up for right now. I just, I'm going to, I'm going to just pass on that because I know it's not for me. But I guess if anybody listening uh, likes the sound of what you're describing, I mean, go for it. But uh, yeah, I'm going to pass. So any final thoughts before we move on from uh, Mooncrash, Corey? I have one small stat to share before we move on. And I did this when I played the original Prey 2. Uh, okay, yes, yes. This. Um, uh, please, please roll ahead, yes. Do you know what I'm going to say? I don't know, but I am prepared to laugh. I think it's going to be funny. Okay, so I took a, a sample through, one of my, through a couple of my playthroughs of load times in this game. And I averaged oh, them. Oh, that's right. That's right. That, okay, go ahead. Yeah, because the first Prey had horrible load times. I can't remember what my average load time in the first Prey was, but I think it was like 59 seconds or something like that. Um, Prey Moon Crash is, I mean, I'm keep in mind, I'm playing on, on an original Xbox One. It's not an Xbox One X. It's not the One S. I mean, I was playing the original Prey on a PlayStation 4 Pro, so that might have helped the performance, whereas the Xbox One is not as powerful. It's a little more outdated. My out of a 12 uh, sample and all but one of these is from just going from one environment to another, the load time between those doors. Um, my, would you like to take a guess at what my average load time was? I will say probably something in the order of 75 seconds. Um, no. More or less? More. Oh, fuck. More than that. <laughs> what? 90 seconds? more oh my god even oh, holy shit well whatever it is it's too much how much was it my average load time was one minute and 42 seconds holy shit that is i mean not not that we're like tech nerds or anything like we don't often talk about specs and stuff but that is a long fucking time <laughs> that's that's so long that i would start to wonder is this something lock up should i go and restart my xbox like i would be worried was that like every single time you went just between any two areas? 
It was. And keep in mind that some of the areas you can like you can explore for a long time. Like you can be in an area for like, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. But that doesn't negate the fact that you're sitting there for damn near two minutes every time you have to move between areas. And honestly, sometimes there were a couple times where I started at Mooncrash and thought to myself, like, I don't I don't even want to play this because I'm not patient enough to sit through the loading screens like I, I, I could be playing something else right now. And I mean, wow. a minute I mean, and f- yeah, mm. you can only eat so many sandwiches, right? Like you can't make a sandwich every time the game has to load. I mean, you can only check Twitter so many times. That's a lot of downtime. That is a lot of downtime. And as I get older and as my free time dwindles, stuff like that really starts to bother me after a while where I feel like nothing good is happening and you're just wasting my time. And that I mean, that to me would be really concerning. So, like, I guess. Out of the nine and a half hours you played, how much of that time do you feel like was load time? <laughs> like an hour of that? Hour and a half? Uh, I mean, if we're talking about waiting two minutes every time it loads and me playing for nine hours, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe an hour of it could have been loading times, maybe oh, like 45 man. minutes or so. I mean, it's, I mean, Prey has a lot going on. The environments are large. There's a lot of enemies and a lot of stuff that it has to load in every section, but... I mean, a minute and 42 seconds for every load screen is just, uh, I mean, like, I hate to be that guy that's like, oh, your loading times need to be shorter because it seems like such right, like a dumb, right, like, right. alpha male, like, video game thing to say. But, I mean, Jesus Christ, a minute and 42 seconds. Like, it's absurd how long these load times are. Uh, that is ridiculous. Okay, even more reason for me to not play it, and I was already <laughs> not going to play it. Uh, let's move on, uh, to something else. So folks, I'm doing something a little unconventional this week. I haven't had a lot of time to play anything in depth. I've been kind of like doing the game buffet where I knew I needed something to talk about for the show, but the only thing that I've really been putting a lot of time into is I'm still playing Hollow Knight, uh, but I only play that like in bed or like when I'm at work and there's nothing going on. So I play it for like five and ten minutes at a time or you know a little bit longer when i'm in bed or something that's the only thing i've really been playing consistently and there's no need to really talk about that anymore i mean maybe i'll do a wrap up really quickly on it when i finish it but i'm still not finished with it so otherwise i haven't had a lot of time for consoles and i've really been just been bouncing around so this week i'm going to talk about four games that i put a little bit of time into and i did not like any one of them so we will just do a really quick introduction slash dismissal for each one um, so feel free to stop me at any point if you have any questions, Corey, and uh, we'll just kind of roll ahead here. Um, the first one is Milanoir, M-I-L-A-N-O-I-R. Uh, this is a 2D pixel-based shooter, I guess, kind of an action shooter game, which is supposed to be copying the style of like 1970s Italian cinema, which is something that I am 100% not well-versed in. (laughs) So a lot of these references and stuff are just lost on me because I'm just not familiar with that era or that type of filmmaking. Um, And basically you play as like some kind of a, I don't know, an assassin or something, and you're going out to kill other bad guys. Uh, The art style is really kooky where everybody has like these really super long pencil-like legs and their bodies are kind of stocky and everybody's ugly and you're shooting dudes. It's got this kind of like really weird, crude cover system, which I don't think works very well. And everything about the game is really like over the top and gross and almost like borderline offensive. Um, You shoot guys, everybody swears a lot. And I think the first boss is, I forgot what her name was, but it was something that was really offensive. Um, 
because she, the first boss is a white lesbian who only has sex with black girls. Oh my God. And they go out of their way to explain that. And then when you get to finally get to fight her as a boss, she is uh, naked in the tub with a girl and then they jump out and everybody gets bloody and shot. And then, I mean, it's just, the whole thing is just really like in poor taste. Like it doesn't, none of it feels earned or like it's really justified. They kind of just rubbed it in your face from the get go, which didn't really sit well with me. Um, and so they really quickly ramp up the difficulty. I died like a lot and I wasn't really on board to begin with. And I was hoping for like a smoother roll in. And it was just like, I get to the first boss pretty quick and you automatically are having to do this like really extended battle with her where you have to like ricochet your bullets off of things, in the environment. And if you don't shoot her, her life like regains. And so you're like doing this like really long drawn out battle and then um, I died and you got to go through the whole thing again. And I was just like, no, 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 no. I'm not doing this. <laughs> don't don't like the tone. Don't like the controls or the clunky, the clunky cover system. There's also this weird like stealth kill system, which I had a really hard time with where you're supposed to sneak up behind guys and kill them with one hit. But I couldn't sometimes tell if I was behind somebody or not because it's kind of a weird 2D perspective. And so I would think I would be behind somebody and then I, and then I actually wasn't. And then they would turn around and shoot me. And just the whole thing just felt really just gross and kind of inappropriate on many levels. And I bailed on it like really quickly. So um, not a good impression of Mille Noir. I mean, full disclosure, I think I probably played it for maybe half hour or 45 minutes max. And I felt like that was too much and I did not want to see anymore. So any questions on that one before I move on? Uh, no, I would just like to notify you that. It, the Switch version on Metacritic, based on nine critics, only has a score of 48, so it looks like you're in good company. Yeah, I have a hard time imagining anybody really digs this one. Um, so that's all I have to say about that one. I do not recommend, and I did not put much time into it for good reason. Uh, next game I'm going to talk about in this particular section before we move on to you, Corey, is Smoke and Sacrifice, which is a, a 2D... It's not pixel-based. It's got this kind of weird animation style, which I don't even know what to even call it. It kind of looks to me somewhat like Flash animation, but it actually is like a higher quality than that, where it almost looks like hand-drawn graphics, but they kind of have these... Like, if you if you took a... Like, a, a, if you drew a piece of paper, uh, like a figure on a piece of paper, and then cut out that figure, and then at all of the elbows and knees, if you put like a little, like a brass little... Um, latch or something like a little a connector you know um and they kind of hinged on those little things that's kind of what it looks like like paper cutouts that are hinging where their joints are i'm sorry that sounds really confusing i don't know a better <laughs> way to explain this um it looks really really beautiful in screenshot like the art quality is very high like it's very attractive looking um it is less so in animation wise because i don't like this animation very much but it's still fine uh but basically this is it's on the switch i think it's on pc also it's a story of where a girl is in some kind of weird dystopian fantasy land and everybody has to sacrifice a baby, their first baby, in order to keep the machine that preserves their lives running. Like, I guess it's like this weird cold winter. Everything is really dire, but there's this machine that keeps this bubble of heat around the village. And so they have to sacrifice their firstborn to this machine to keep the heat on, basically. So this, the game starts with you sacrificing your baby. It's really sad and gross. And then come to find out that the babies are not actually, like, burned up or anything. They actually, like, go below the surface 
to, I mean, I guess keep the machine running like they're workers or something like that. I mean, kind of an interesting premise. Um, so once you figure this out, you go down below and you got to like find your kid and, you know, do the whole re reunification thing, which seems like a pretty cool idea. But the game is actually a crafting game and it's kind of a crafting game in disguise. It doesn't look like a crafting game on the surface, but once you start playing, you realize, oh, this entire game is just crafting where you need to make literally everything. Like you need to make all your weapons. You need to make all of your life ups. You need to make your equipment that you wear. And it's also the kind of crafting game where once you make something, that thing starts to degrade. So you have to make it again and again and again, which is like really one of my least favorite things in all of gaming. So that in itself wasn't too bad, but the quests are really vague. And sometimes I couldn't figure out like what it was wanting me to do. Uh, and also the environments are really bland. Like I was just, I felt like I was walking in this like little tundra slash swamp area for days and days and like nothing was changing nothing interesting was happening. And I was just like whacking monsters, uh, you know, build like a little hatchet, whack the monsters. My hatchet breaks, got to remake the hatchet walking around. And like, there's also this kind of like weird day and night cycle where in the daytime you're fine, but at nighttime, this poisonous fog covers the whole land. So you have to make a lantern to protect yourself. And the lantern also goes out. So you got to keep filling up the lantern with oil. It just, the whole thing just seemed like a whole bunch of like fucking like inventory upkeep, crafting recrafting bullshit and <laughs> I, the, I mean seriously like the story wasn't moving fast enough to keep my interest and the graphics were kind of weird and i just i'm not a big fan of crafting at all in general so although this game really looks amazing in screenshots and that's really what got me interested in the first place after about maybe half an hour or an hour of smoke and sacrifice i was like i was so done with this i just did not want any more of that at all um, if there had been some more hooks, like if the story kept going with a good pace or, you know, maybe even if you just had to make, make something once and it didn't wear out, that would be fine. But like the thought of like collecting resources and then making something and then collecting again and remaking the same thing just so you can keep going really not interesting, not exciting. It feels like a giant fucking waste of time to me. And I don't, uh, I do not think that was a good premise for this game mechanically. Um, as much as I wanted to see how the story turned out. And as cool of an idea it was, I just, no, 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 no. I stopped. So bailed on that after about an hour, and that was all she wrote. Um, any any thoughts, impressions, or do you perhaps have the Metacritic rating of that one? Oh, I don't. I should have looked it up. I looked up screenshots where you were talking to see what it looked like, and it does look really pretty. It kind of looks like Bastion in screenshots to me. Um, A little bit, yeah. Kind of similar visually. The animation's different, but like in screenshots for sure. Um, I don't have anything specific to this game to say, but I do um, just want to tell you that I admire your ability to continually try just about any game life throws at you, even if that means playing it for 15 minutes and deciding that it's not very good, because I feel like it's very easy, and I do this a lot, to get caught in the circle of only playing games that you think you'll like, which is a reasonable thing to do, because why would you want to play a game that you don't think you're going to like, but... I mean, we've talked, like, on the show, but me just talking about Prey, like, talking about roguelikes, like, I, I, like, there's been a lot of times that I've seen a game on, like, PSN sale or on a Steam sale, and I've been like, oh, that looks interesting, and then I look at the first line of the description for the game, and it's like, oh, this top-down roguelike, and I'm like, well, never mind, like, I ugh, get me as far <laughs> away from this as I, as I can be, but, like, I just, like, ad admire that you always come to the podcast with these, like, off the beaten path games that I've never heard of and that you're willing to give them some of your time, even if you don't like them. And then you 
have to come to the show every week and talk about how much you don't like these games, but <laughs> but I'm glad that you tried them either way because it's uh, I think it's noble of you. Well, thank you very much. I mean, I, number one, I need content for the podcast, so this helps to kind of give me something to talk about. And also, like, you know, I mean, I just never know what I'm going to like. I mean, sometimes I come across something where it doesn't seem like my cup of tea, but I'll give it a shot, and then I'm like, oh, this is actually better than I thought, or oh, there's a twist that I didn't expect, or something, you know, something will grab me. And you just, you just never know. I mean, there's been so many games where if you look at the cover art or if you just read a description, you're like, oh, that sounds like, that sounds like horseshit. I'm not going to play that. But then you get into it and for some reason it connects or there's something about it that you find is special. I mean, there's been, I mean, just a number of examples over the years where something I thought was going to be trash ended up being really good or at least really interesting. Like maybe not good in the sense that it became a favorite or, or that I loved it or that I would even recommend it, but maybe I learned something from it or maybe I you know, saw a new aspect of design I hadn't seen before. Maybe the game didn't work, but that one thing was cool or something. I mean, I, I, I can't say that I get a benefit from every game that I play. I don't think that's true, but I think from a lot of games, I do learn something. At the very least, I learn what not to do. So that's something you can always take away as well. So that's all I have to say about those two games. I do have two more games to talk about, but before we get to those, uh, let's switch back to you real quick, Corey. You were talking about a game that I... So you you have pulled a Brad this week. You pulled out a game that I have never heard of. <laughs> I have no idea what it's about. I have no idea where you found this. I know fucking fuck all zero <laughs> about this game, which is pretty unusual for me because I spend a lot of fucking time reading about games. So please, sir, the Payne's Creek Killings. What the fuck is this? Where did you find it? What is, what is going on? What is I, even, Corey? <laughs> I feel like now that I'm getting into PC gaming a little bit, I can, like, pull these quick ones on you because, like, there's a hell of a lot of stuff going on over in the PC gaming world that you're not as privy to because you don't really do PC gaming a lot. So maybe I can keep you on your toes a little bit with these silly, uh, I don't know, PC indies that I keep coming around to. Yeah, you got me there, man, because it's like, theoretically, I would want to be in the PC indie scene because I do love indies and I love experimental games and I love small games and I love cheap games. And PC has all of that. But I have to say, uh, number one, I just I absolutely despise playing any game with a mouse and keyboard. I, I can't do it. I don't. I just no. I just can't. I just I'm allergic <laughs> to it. I can't do it. Also, despite the fact that Steam and most modern um, portals these days are pretty good at doing updates and stuff. I mean, I think I've said this before. I have the worst luck in the world when it comes to technological stuff. And if there's any way that a PC game will go wrong, it will go wrong on my system. And I don't know <laughs> enough about computers to fix it. So every time I've tried, it's, it's just been a clusterfuck. And I just, after the years of trying and failing and getting frustrated, I just, I just can't even do it. So, I mean, honestly, it's lucky these days that a lot of stuff is coming to Switch because I feel like I'm still getting a pretty good stream of indies. But you are definitely going to be in the deep end of the pool when it comes to that stuff. So I look forward to being surprised a lot more often. Good, me too, because the thing that I like about Steam is that I often surprise myself with the stuff I find on it that I've never heard of before that I end up liking. Um, that's exactly what happened this week. So... I, I want to um, apologize real quick because I did, I did pull a fast on you. I was originally going to talk about the Turing Test, which is another PC game. And I have to give a huge, a very, very, very huge shout out to friend of the show, Joshua Jackson, because the uh, summer Steam sale just happened for the past few weeks. And I think uh, like yesterday or today is the last day for Steam sales, actually, for the Steam uh, summer sale. And Joshua Jackson bought me... Not one, not two, 
not four, but three games on Steam and gifted them to me that I had on my wish list. Oh, what a guy. What I know, guy. I know. And he had like brought it up on Twitter and he was like, oh, you know, uh, like what games? Because Patrick and I play on the same Steam account because we don't really need two accounts. And he was like, well, what games are yours on the Steam list? And I was like, oh, well, you know, some of these, but a lot of them I already own on other systems. I don't really need them. And he was like, well, why don't you, like, you know, hint, hint, why don't you, like, put them in a ranked order so I can think about stuff if anybody wants to gift you any games? And I was like, oh, ho, okay, I see what's going on here. So I put them in order, and he bought three games for me, and he bought me uh, the Turing Test, which was near the top of my list. And I was going to talk about that this week, but I decided not to. But I also have to apologize to him because the, the Pain Street Killings, he did not buy me this game. Um, I bought it for myself, and I'm talking about it. So, Josh, I will play your games, and I will talk about them soon, um, but just not this week. So um, I often browse on Steam sort of like the walking sim tag category because oh, I... Oh, I, I bet you browse I, that pretty hard. <laughs> I bet you are a frequent browser of that. I, I am, as you, you might imagine. Um, and the nice thing about PC is that there's, like, no limit to the amount of them. Like, I'm, like, drowning in walking sims, like, like swimming and... A swimming sim maybe you could say because there's just so many but um there's one that i saw uh like last week called the pains creek killings which i will admit is kind of a silly title um but it is a first person murder mystery walking sim it reminds me visually and pacingly that's not a word but we're gonna go with it uh it reminds me a lot of the, <laughs> you heard the, it here <laughs> first on so many games folks Corey just coined that pacingly <laughs> pacingly um has similar pacing to uh the vanishing of ethan carter which is another walking sim that i played on ps4 like three years ago uh the visual style is pretty similar it's really beautiful um but i so I stumbled upon this game and I downloaded Thank goodness I had a demo. I downloaded the demo because I love demos and I played it. Um, the fascinating thing about the demo is that I played it for like three hours before it even like mentioned that like, okay, hey, your time's up. Like, I don't know if the demo has like a three hour time limit, but I played it for three hours and I was in one section of the map. And when I went to exit that section of the map, it let me know before I walked through the door, like, hey, if you exit, the demo is going to be over. Do you still want to exit? And I was like, first of all, how courteous of you to let me know that the demo is going to be over if I exit. And second of all, like, thank you for letting me play your game for three hours. Like, that's awfully nice of you. But it was really smart on their... Uh, on their end because three hours was like totally enough to get me so invested that as soon as I hit that, that wall, I bought the game immediately so I could keep playing it. Ooh, um, that's the, a good, that's a good recommendation. Yeah. I mean, and you know, cause sometimes like games, it'll give you like a 15 minute demo and like 15 minutes just like, isn't quite enough to like really figure out if you like it or not. But with this, I mean, I played it for hours. And so I was like fully invested by the time it came up. And plus it was on the steam sale. It was only four ninety nine, So um, I think it's $20 originally, but I got it for 5 bucks, So that was, like, totally a reasonable price. And um, But let me, let me back up and talk about the game itself. So it's a first-person murder mystery walking sim. You play as a female reporter uh, named Janet. I can't remember her last name, but her first name's Janet. Uh, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. And oh, it is, shit, uh, you went there. You went there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you play uh, – She her, she's tasked with um, – there's, like, this little town called Payne's Creek, which is a silly name, but here we are. Um, and it has been deserted. There's nobody living there. 
um, there was a kind of a rich family that lived in this mansion in the back of kind of like in the in the back of the town. And the wife of the family was murdered like, I don't know, like 10 or 20 years ago or something. And I guess like the town is about to be like bulldozed because it's deserted and nobody lives there anymore. And so your newspaper editor sends you I think it's a newspaper, but he sends you on like one like like just go one last time and try to dig up everything you can to like really get to the bottom of this mystery because it's an unsolved murder if I didn't mention that. Um like they thought they knew who the guy was that did it. Uh he got off, you know, he wasn't convicted. And so it's just like No, this no wait, cold... wait, hold on, hold on a second. I got I got to call you out on this. Okay. It's an unsolved murder. Think about how rad this fucking game would have been if you got called in for a solved murder. How different would this game have been, Corey? <laughs> that would be a completely different thing. It probably wouldn't have had a three-hour demo, that's for sure. <laughs> you show up. Who did it? This guy did it. All right. Well, we got to the bottom of that case. <laughs> Thanks for playing. Yeah. Thank goodness. That's not what it was. Um, All right. But, uh, Sorry. Yeah. I just, like... <laughs> no, that's funny. I never thought about that before. Um but you get there, and the thing that I really like about this game is that, like, as soon as you start it, it straight up tells you, like, there's literally, like, words on the screen that say something to the effect of, like, this game treats you exactly how you'd be treated if you were, like, a reporter or a detective. Like, there's there's no objective markers, there's no waypoints, there's no, like, it basically doesn't hold your hand. Like, you, it, it, the game tells you, like, you might want to have a pen and paper nearby to take notes because like the game doesn't really keep a lot of note keeping for you. And I was like, okay, like, you know, maybe, maybe they're serious. Like, you know, we'll see what's going on with this. So you start, you start right outside the town gates. There's a little sheriff office you can go into, but there's nobody in it. And it's basically like just this like semi open world slice of this town. And you just have to keep exploring until you, kind of like feel like I haven't beat it yet. I want to make that clear um, to where you like figure out uh, like what you think is going on. And it starts with the murder of the woman and you can get to like, you can go to the mansion and the door is unlocked, which is great. And so you could just kind of go in and explore the mansion and a lot of the doors are locked. So it's kind of one of those games where it like holds the carrot, like just close enough to where like you feel like you're making a tiny bit of progress and that you know where to go. But sometimes I have felt a little bit lost. And to be honest with you, I've actually looked up a couple of online guides because there have been a few times where I just wasn't exactly sure what to do because you have to rely completely on yourself to know what to do. Like there's been times where I found a key to a house and like I went to the house and there was maybe like a locked door in the house or there was like a like I needed some kind of tool for something in the house and I didn't have it. And then two hours later, I find that tool and I'm like, oh, damn it. Like, where was that house again? And I have to like really remember how to get there. And you, the cool thing is you have a camera in the game, so you can take pictures and stuff if you need to. And that's a good refresher. And if you read people's journals or, or people's diaries, um, it records them for you so you can look them up at any time. But um, there's no no objectives, no waypoints, no nothing like that. So it's basically just all you uh, walking around this town trying to figure out what happened. And it sounds... I mean, the way I'm describing it, it probably sounds boring. And this game very likely might be too slow for a lot of people because it's not... I mean, you're... As far as I know, there's, like, nobody in the town. It's just you walking around this town, exploring it. You know, you're not fighting people. You don't have weapons. There's no, like, QTEs or anything. It's just you exploring this town. But there's just something really... Um, interesting and really charming about it and the fact that I'm like taking notes like I literally have like two notebook pages like full of notes that I've been writing um, you know trying to figure out what's going on to get to the bottom of these murders 
and like the more you learn about the characters and the more you figure out because it kind of turns into like you think you're going there to to discover what happened to this one person that got murdered but the longer you're there you kind of discover that like everybody in the town kind of like died under mysterious circumstances or there's like a lot of like big players in the town and so you, it kind of like dominoes into this you like figuring out okay well like these like five or six people got murdered or like something happened to them like i need to figure out first of all how the woman that i'm here you know to discover her murder like what happened there but it, it's like this big web it's kind of like a soap opera like it's a big web of like all these people that lived in this town and the history spans like 30 years so sometimes you'll find journals that are from like the seventies and sometimes they'll be from the eighties and then like the mid nineties. And you really have to pay attention to like how old the people would have been whenever you're reading a certain thing about them. Cause like at a certain point they're talking about like, you know, living in like an orphanage and you know, there's like teenagers that have crushes on each other. And then like later on there's journals about like when they're, you know, in their mid twenties and they're working as like a groundskeeper for the mansion and stuff like that. So it's just like, there's a lot of like thought that went into the narrative and like the interweaving of what everybody happened. And I mean, it's kind of boring cause you're getting a lot of this through like reading journal entries and stuff, which is not, you know, a lot of people, myself included, like not, you know, my favorite way to get information in a video game. But the fact that the entire game is that, and it's like set up in a way where it's like, like this is what you're doing. And that's the only thing you're doing makes it a lot more interesting to me. Whereas a game like, you know, Resident Evil where you're running around like shooting zombies, but then there's like a hundred journals that you're reading. Like it just really takes the focus off of what I feel like the main gameplay is. But with this game, like, you know, that's what you're doing. You're going in, you're investigating, you're like reading these diaries, you're finding like cool, like secret rooms in the mansion. And you're like writing down these passcodes and like solving these puzzles and stuff to figure out uh, where to go. And Every once in a while, um, like this game is not a horror game by any stretch of the imagination, but every once in a while stuff will happen that'll like really scare me. Like there's a part where I was uh, exploring a hospital and the cool thing about the hospital in this game is that it's not, it doesn't look like every like ridiculous hospital, like from like a Resident Evil or a Silent Hill or something. It looks like everything in this game is crafted to look very much like a real version of itself like the hospital it has like wood floors and it's not like grimy and there's like a physical therapy room that has like wheelchairs and those like um those floors with like the rails that people walk on and like hold the rails so that they can learn to walk again like everything it's just very practical but there's like a point when i was in the hospital and there's like a an id card on a bench that you have to use to unlock a door and I, like, pick up the ID card, and I turn around, and I'm, like, walking toward the door I have to use it on. And, like, all the lights in the hospital went out, and it, like, scared the hell out of me because stuff like that happens very rarely in this game. Like, it's not the kind of game where every time you walk in a building, like, the lights shut off or, like, you know, a window breaks or something like that. Like, there's only been, like, three times in the game where something really scary has happened, and I've been playing it for about, like, four or five hours and so, like, those moments have a lot of impact. And, like, sometimes I'm wondering, like, okay, was the, was the town haunted? Like, is there a ghost or something? Um, and it's just, like, there's just a lot of stuff going on. But I, I, like, I'm really liking this game. And, like, it's, you know, it's slow-paced. Um, the game does not hold your hand at all. You really have to, like, know what you're doing and write down stuff and really have to, like, solve these puzzles on your own. But I'm, I'm like, super into it, like, way more into it than I thought I was going to be. And, like, it's really beautiful. 
And I, I don't know, like this is one of those gems on Steam where I found it and I was like, hmm, this could either be like really terrible or I could really be into it. And thank goodness it's one of those cases where I'm just like pretty head over heels right now. All right. So I have a couple questions before I move on. Um, so I guess first off, maybe you said this, but I kind of didn't catch it or maybe I um, misheard you. Are there other people in this or are you only strictly like, is it like an empty town and you're looking at journals? I know you said journals and stuff, but like, is it only journals and papers and notes or are you actually talking to people? Are there is there anybody in the town besides you? There... So far, there has been nobody in the town but me. Ah, oh, man. All right, okay. But I Big think that's strip. interesting because it gives it, like, this really kind of, like, Silent Hill quality of, like, exploring this deserted town and kind of, like... It kind of reminds me a lot of Kona when I talked about that a while back because it's a very similar game. Like, Kona, you go to this, like, snowy Canadian town, and I, I think in my review for it, I had called it, like a like, a looking through people's stuff simulator, which sounds so boring, and I know that I'm, like and this rare percentage of gamers that that's probably like something that I'm really into, but it's totally that where you're like, you're like exploring these people's houses and like looking in every desk drawer, like trying to find like that key that's in the drawer or like picking up that journal that has like some really interesting, like, uh, like juicy info in it. Or maybe there's like a passcode written in this journal and stuff. And, um, it's just like that. It's that kind of game, man. Okay. So like, I, like, I, I realize this is Corey's jam. Like this is this is Corey's <laughs> shit. This is Corey ass game. We're in Corey territory, Corey's hometown. This is your stuff, and I get that. But like, I just I get kind of frustrated because I feel like I like narrative in games, and I feel like some of these things would be interesting to me. But I feel like they all basically follow the same template of like you're alone, you're in an empty town, there's nobody else around. Might be a little scary. You read a lot of journals, and then you get to the end. I mean, I feel like I mean maybe I'm over generalizing, but I feel like a lot of these games follow that same template. And I, I would like to play one where someone changes it up a lot. So I, I'm looking forward to maybe playing some of the ones you've recommended in the past. I think probably the next one I'm going to try is um, Soma when I get around to that. I have that ready to roll. Um, but guys, it, it just seems like it would, it would, for me anyway, it would go a lot further if there were other people, if there was more normal interactions, because I, you know, like it's, if you've ever gone to, okay, so here, okay, so look at this. My, my <laughs> wife's grandma died a while ago. I think I, I might've talked about it a while ago. So my, my wife's grandma died. And before that, her other grandma-in-law died. I don't know if that's even the right term or not. And then before that, her um, grandpa died. And we went down to all of those houses to clean things up, um, you know, because, you know, you got to get the house empty and they're selling the property for whatever. Uh, and so like, I'm just going to say, speaking from personal fucking experience, when you go into someone's house, you can't learn shit from anything. There's <laughs> so much random stuff in someone's house. And like, there's so men so much of it, like trying to figure out like you, like there's no way in hell I could go into like a dead person's house and like, Oh, I'm going to figure out their computer password by looking at the papers in their house. No way. There's no way it's not, it's impossible. And just, I mean, the thought of that is just like, I like it when games do it well which is usually in very specific circumstances and they don't overdo it. But like to have that as a main mechanic really just like really rubs me the wrong way. And I know that you're okay with it and that's totally fine. I respect that hundred percent. But like for me, it just like, God damn it. I can't, I literally <laughs> cannot do another one of these. I just can't. So um, we don't need to talk that into the ground. I know where you feel on that, but let me ask you one more question. So like here you talk about it, you sound like you really like it a lot and that's cool. But like if you had to summarize in like two sentences, what is it that puts this game in such a favorable light compared to all the other walking Sims that you played? Like, is there what, like this really, really like, like in a nutshell, 
if I was to say to you, Corey, I really want to play Walking Sim, and I should play this one because, like, what would you say to, like, try to win me over, just real briefly? Well, I mean, if you were, like, coming at me with, like, a... Like, hey, out of all the walking sim you, you've played, I would certainly not recommend this one first. So I just want to make that clear in the beginning. Um, because this, I understand this game is, like, way too dense and probably too challenging and probably too obtuse for, like, a lot of people to get on board with. But if, like, you came to me and I thought this was your audience, like, you'd be the audience for this game, I'd probably say, like, it's... It is a walking sim that the story is just interesting enough to keep me engaged and keep me wanting to explore the town and it doesn't hold your hand so it really keeps you engaged in how you're exploring the town and what you have to do to get around the town and whenever you find uh you know keys thinking about where you've been and what locked doors there were and it's just a really good crash course and like thorough, um, like unobstructed exploration of a small town that has this wild, creepy, like multi-tiered murder mystery backstory going on that has all these residents entangled in each other's lives, like some kind of crazy soap opera. And I mean, if that is your jam, then this would be a good starting point for you. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. We will leave it there. And whoever out there loves the Corey ass walking Sims, <laughs> there you go. There you go. He is. I don't think I'm like pretty sure no one that listens to this podcast likes this, these kind of games like I do. <laughs> There's got to be at least one person. If you're listening to this podcast and you are on the same, if you're in Corey's boat, you love these games. Like, send us a message and let us know. Like, please, yeah, like, please. Like, yeah, give three cheers to Corey for covering The Walking Sims. I need to know I'm be... not alone. <laughs> I, I guarantee there's at least one person out there that loves them just as much as you do, if not more. So, all right, let's move on real quick. I have uh, two more quick hits, and then we will probably wrap up the show here. Uh, so continuing on with my previous format of stuff that I basically didn't like and then moved on from quickly... The first game is called... I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's 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 A-T-O-M-I-N-E. So Atomine, Atomini, Atomine. I have no idea how it's pronounced. No clue is it whatsoever. Like, whenever I look at it, it makes me think of Pantomime, but it's Atomine instead. Yeah, it's almost like Pantomime, but not quite. I'm missing a couple letters, but you're on the right track there. Um, so <laughs> I apologies to the developers. I have no idea how to pronounce your game. It would be great if you gave us some tips about that. Uh <laughs> Uh, so, this is a top-down roguelike, which I generally really like these a lot if they're done well. I don't like them all, and I really fucking hate them when they're done poorly. Uh, and this one is not done poorly. It just isn't special enough to keep my attention. Uh, basically, there's some kind of weird intro story about something-something hacking, something-something future, something-something data. I don't know exactly... Um, there were no subtitles for the opening cutscene, and I couldn't hear what they were saying. So developers, please put subtitles in your game because even for us who can hear, I really appreciate having them on because sometimes I just can't hear what the fuck you're saying. So I like to read it. Uh, so something about that, it doesn't really matter because it does. I don't think it affects the game in any way. It's just like the premise. But you play as a black cube, which is actually why I bought this game to begin with. I will be full disclosure. I bought this game because I thought the idea of playing a black cube collecting data was kind of cool. I just like the way your cube <laughs> looked. 
looked kind of neat. So you're in this like really abstract kind of in cyberspace kind of techno thing. <laughs> Lots of, you know, sh- geometrical shapes, uh, electricity sparks, and I don't know, you know, whatever. I'm, like, I'm looking at screenshots and it looks like um, Metal Gear Solid VR missions. It looks like yeah, that. Yeah, there is a very much a v- Metal Gear VR flavor to it, absolutely. But you play as a black cube. And the game tells you fuck all, which, again, I really dislike. <laughs> please, I, I went off on a rant about this last episode. Developers, please put in a goddamn tutorial or at least tell me what the fuck is going on. Because, I mean, like, OK, like, like, I'm just going to be really brutally fucking honest here. And if I sound like an asshole, I apologize, although I'm not really sorry about it. Because I, I, I get sent so many games as the editor of a game's website. And I don't say this to brag. I'm not trying to, you know, humble brag or anything like that. I'm just like literal fact. I get sent so many fucking games every goddamn day. There is no possible way that not only could I play them, but like at our website, we have about 20, 22 people who are actively writing for game critics. We don't even have enough people on staff with 22 people to play all the games they send us. Like, I'm not even kidding. So like all these games that get sent to us, you got to make a really strong first impression. If your first impression is, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know how to play this game. What is, what am I even doing? You've lost. Like you have lost. If you want to grab an editor's attention, you want to get some traction on the interwebs. You want to get some Twitter buzz going. You have got to take a couple extra steps to make sure that players can get inside your game. So, I mean, like, it's just brutal fucking fact. Like we get drowning. We're drowning in games. There's no way to keep up. You've got to do something to stand out. And being the enigmatic weird indie that nobody understands is not going to fucking win you any favors. So there you go. Any developers listening, please take that advice to heart. Um, So this is one of those where I don't understand what the story is. I like the visual style, and that was enough to get me in. And once I started playing, I didn't understand the the gameplay. I mean, I basically understood it because you're a cube that glides, hovers, I don't know, slides around the world. I don't know exactly how you move, but you move around. It's very much like um, a Geometry Wars or controls like a twin stick shooter where you're moving on the left stick, shooting at the right stick. Which is fun. I think those games are fun if they're done well. But it's not clear how you get upgrades. It's not clear how you change your upgrades. And the difficulty ramps up really, really quickly. And as far as I could tell, none of the upgrades were permanent. Like if you unlocked, like like you start with a pea shooter. And then like if you, you pick up like a rocket. And so you start shooting rockets, which is cool. As far as I could tell, once you die, like that rocket is not unlocked. Like you just like start from like absolute scratch. Which is kind of a hard sell these days because so many rogue likes or rogue lights really give you a leg up by unlocking things and giving you some reason to keep progressing, even if you're not winning the game every time. But at least you feel like you did something. So if there's a way to carry that over, I don't know how. And once I picked up some power ups, there was this weird thing where you had to go to a particular section of a level. And then all of a sudden it gave you these weird options with no text. It was just like pictures. And I was trying to figure out what it was. And after a while, I was like, oh, okay, if you rotate these symbols around, then it changes what your loadout is, but you have to unlock the thing first, I think. And then how do I change it again? I don't know. I I mean, I think I basically got the gist of it um, by the time I got done playing. But with that, like, cold open, plus how quickly the difficulty ramped up, plus the fact that I don't think I unlocked anything, I was like, dude, that's like three strikes, man. Like, I'm not gonna... I mean, I literally have so many other games to play. And... I realize that, like, it takes a lot of effort to make a game. I realize that somebody spent, like, you know, I don't know, a year making this or whatever. This is their baby. 
they had, you know, stars in their eyes. They wanted to make it big and this is their shot. Like I get all that and that's fine. I have sympathy for that. But the fact is the games market is huge these days. You got to like, you got to do something better. You got to be special somehow. You got to stand out. And I just don't think that this game is hitting the mark. I feel like it's close. I feel like they're, they're on the cusp of being kind of a cool little roguelike, but I don't think they're quite there yet. And maybe there are more features that I didn't unlock, or maybe there was something I didn't understand. I totally admit that. But at the same time, you made zero effort to walk me into your game and I've got 10 fucking thousand other things to play. So I'm not going to like spend all day trying to figure out your game. I'm sorry. I just won't. So I bailed on at, at, Adamine. See, I don't even know how to pronounce your game, dude. Like, you got to tell me at least how to pronounce your game. Because how are you going to get word of mouth if people don't know how to pronounce your game? I mean, it's like square one. So anyway, I bounced off that pretty quick. I put about maybe 40 minutes, 45 minutes or so. Any any cues on that one? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. Not much to say on that one. The last one I'm going to talk about today is H1Z1 Battle Royale. Have you heard of H1Z1 in any context, Corey? Uh, yeah, you gave me a code for this a while back, and I haven't played it. Oh, I did. I did, didn't I? Boy, I sure did. Did you ever try it? Nope. You can delete it. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so H1Z1, I believe, I never played the original because I'm pretty sure it was a PC-only game, but I think it was one of those open-world survival games, kind of like a tree puncher where you're trying to, like, get resources and build stuff, but there was also zombies I never played it, and I only was, like, vaguely aware of it. Um, and, of course, like everybody else on planet Earth these days, they're trying to get some of that sweet, sweet Battle Royale money, which is going around. Uh, and I'm sorry to say, I think most people have just missed the boat on that. I think uh, I think Fortnite came in, ate everybody's lunch, and I think that's, that's probably as far as it's going to go. But these guys want some of that pie, so they've taken what I assume is the bones of H1Z1, which is third-person... Uh, behind the back, open world, action, and they've put it in a battle royale context, which of course, as everyone knows, you are one person out of a hundred and you want to be the last man standing or woman or, or whatever. Uh, gender indeterminate, it's fine. Uh, and, uh, and so I guess I just wasn't really clear on what this game was trying to do because it seemed like a very bare bones battle royale. And knowing that H1Z1 was about zombies, I was waiting to see zombies in the mix, but I didn't see any. It just seemed like other characters that I was playing with, which I don't know why you would do that because that's just like any other Battle Royale game. I mean, there's already um, PUBG, which this really looked a lot like, and there's also Fortnite, which is like the number one by a mile. So I don't know why you would release something that was a Battle Royale, which didn't look as good, didn't control as good, and didn't seem to have its own unique hook. So I was a little bit confused by that. I, I jumped in, started walking around, got killed immediately, which is usually the, the norm for Battle Royale and me and jump back in another another few times and i found a car and one thing that i thought was cool was kind of like PUBG. you can jump into vehicles and drive them around which is neat except for when i jumped in the car and i drove around i tried to run over somebody and it didn't kill them it just kind of like bumped them and they were unhurt and they were still alive and like well, what the fuck is what point is being in a car if when you run <laughs> over a dude you can't kill them that's like the whole is that not the whole point that seems the whole point to me so it was dumb. I jump out of the car and like, you know, the dude shoots me immediately because I just have accepted the fact that when it comes to battle Royale games, literally everyone on earth has better aim and is faster with reflexes and has a better gun than I do. That's just the way it goes. I am, I am like in a, in a field of hundred people. I am the first guy down every single time, which is fine. I, these are not my jam, but I figure I'll try them. 
I didn't see any reason to keep trying this one. It just seemed really rough. Seemed like it had no unique hooks. Didn't look fun. Didn't look great. And I just, I'm like with all the other Battle Royale games coming down and with Fortnite currently the top dog, I just, I don't see what these guys are trying to do with this game. It looks like a really sad, really unimpressive, like also ran. So I'm really confused by that. Um, speaking of which, my son has convinced me to jump back into Fortnite. Uh, I did not really like the core campaign and I only played a little bit of the battle royale mode, but he was really wanting to play. So I'm like, okay, I jump back in and you know, it's, it's polished. It's better than it was. They've added a lot of stuff to it. If battle royale is your thing, I can easily understand why Fortnite is also your thing. And I can easily understand why it is the leader. Um, I had fun. I mean, I don't think that I would play it every day. I don't think that I would want to put a lot of time into it, but I did think it was pretty fun for, you know, a half an hour one or two rounds and then, you know, bounce and do something else. So, you know, shout out to Fortnite. Uh, but uh, as far as H1Z1, I I don't know why they're even trying, honestly. I know that sounds kind of brutal and I'm sure there's a lot of good people at the studio who are working hard on this and pinning their hopes on it and wanting to make themselves a success. But I just don't see why anybody would sign up for this when there's already two other monsters out there that are just, you know, so far ahead of everybody else. So there you go. Any questions on that one, Corey? Um, you already answered my main question, which is, can I delete this and not play it? And your answer was yes. So here we go. Yeah. Delete that thing. You're not going to miss out on anything. There's no reason <laughs> to even play it. So that's about it. Uh, I don't have anything else. And I think we should probably wrap up the show unless you've got anything else you want to check out there real quick. I'm a okay with wrapping up the show. All right, cool. Oh, one more thing before we go. I want to give a big shout out to a uh, listener laughing Buddha. He uh, sent us a message, I want to say it was about a week ago, where he just said thanks for taking the time to do the podcast, and he enjoyed listening, and he appreciated that we, you know, take time out of our week to do this, and the effort that it takes to put it out, so uh, thanks very much, man. I really appreciate uh, you saying that, because sometimes it feels like, you know, we may be podcasting into the void, and we just do it to listen to ourselves <laughs> talk, which is fine. I would listen to ourselves talk is okay, but I like it better when people listen, and it's always nice to get a message where someone is just taking a minute to say thanks, because... You know, it's just nice to connect with people who are out there, and it's nice to know that something that we're doing, um, you know, somebody else enjoys, even in some small way. So thank you very much, Laughing Buddha. I really appreciate the message. And, uh, yeah, shout out. Also, so, also, when I was talking to Michael about his brother... Oh, this is from Banter, so this is going to sound weird for people who haven't listened to Banter yet. When I was talking to Michael about his brother being in the DSA, Michael told me that our Banter section and our podcast is his favorite banter section out of every podcast that he listens to can you believe that brad that is amazing also i would ask how many podcasts does he listen to <laughs> this is probably the only one <laughs> i know i was like oh he's just being nice because michael's a real nice guy he only listens to one podcast and we're it he's a sweet guy i love michael pran he's awesome um so thank you very much for that i will take the compliment michael i'm not trying to uh dismantle it thank you very much that's very nice to say and i'm glad that somebody listens to our banter as well so excellent 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 uh, okay, so that brings us to the end of the show. Um, don't think we have anything else to say, but please remember that you can always send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. Hit us up, sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com after the show goes up. Uh, we are also on Twitter as a collective show, at sovideogames. You can also reach us individually uh, my handle is my name, Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, and my Instagram handle is the same. Corey, where can people find you? 
Uh, they can find me. My uh, Twitter and Instagram handles are also the same. They're also my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And that is it for us. And this is the end of another So Video Games. We will be back next week with another installment. Uh, but for now, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. dude so we are back we are recording uh i just talked for a million hours about something that we can't talk about in the show but would you Corey motley like to start us off with some uh for general consumption banter what do you got this week man <laughs> um i have a couple things the first i think it's just a couple things um i feel like god i feel like it's been a really long time since we talked even though it's only been like a week and maybe like two days or something like last week we recorded on monday and we're recording on thursday this week so it's been more than a week <clears throat> and pushing that time back really has me like thinking like, man, our last episode was like a hundred years ago. Do you feel similarly? Yeah, it did feel like I, we haven't talked for quite a while. And as I was looking at my, um, the notes, I was like, Jesus, fuck, I've got like so many notes. <laughs> we, did we skip an episode? Cause I've got so much shit to talk about, but no, it's been, you know, just more or less a week. So weird, weird how time is so relative. It is. And I remember like thinking about last, like as I was doing things over the past week, thinking like, like, oh, this would be a good thing for banter. Oh, this would be a good thing for banter. And then now that we're here, like, I know I had things happen, and I already know that I've forgotten them to talk about for banter. But I do have two things. And the first thing <clears throat> I want to talk about is I really just want to, like, complain for a minute. I know it's hard to believe that I'm going to be complaining about something because I never do. But I want to complain about about work and about business for a second. So will you stick with me on this? I love complaining. Yeah, complain away. I love complaining. <laughs> let's get let's get fucking negative, dude. Slag something. <laughs> okay, so like okay, so I took I know I've talked about this 100 million times on the show that I went on my first business trip with the university that I work for. It was about a month ago. It was like 3 weeks ago and this business trip still has not fully wrapped itself up and I will tell you why it is because Leading up to going on this business trip, I had really no idea how, like, I was going to get paid for the business trip. Because, like, when you go on a trip, I had had my coworker, like, one of my, one or two of my coworkers tell me, like, whenever you leave, like, you, you don't clock in and out like you would if you're in the office. Like, because you're just kind of, you're not, like, working the exact same hours. So, like, don't clock in, don't clock out. That's, like, something you'll take care of later. And I was like, okay, you know, that sounds reasonable. So... I leave, I go on the business trip, I flew out on Tuesday morning um, last month, and I did, I flew out in the morning, got to Columbus, I went to some conference stuff that night, because they had like opening events, and then Wednesday was like the big meaty day of the conference, where like it kind of ran like normal business hours, I think it was like 8 to, I don't know, like 5 or something, just like a regular thing, and then Thursday, we had early morning stuff. It was like an 8 to noon kind of thing, something like that, where we went to conferences. And then I flew back and didn't get back in town until about midnight on Thursday night. So following my coworkers' orders, I did not clock in and out or anything because that would have been weird because I wasn't working the same hours that I do when I'm in the office. And I also, like, I don't have, like, a business, like, a credit card or anything for work. Like, I was told to just hang on to all my receipts 
um, and then, you know, bring them back. And so this weird thing happened where, like, I, I got all my receipts, and whenever I was trying to figure out what to do with them, I had, like, two different people. It, it's just, like, this classic, like, business, like, pretzel of communication where it's, like, I had one person telling me, okay, we're going to do this with your expenses, and then I had another person telling me, no, actually, we do this with your expenses. And so it was, like, one of the people that's, like, one of my delegates to work on my expense report, like, got started on on all this stuff for me, and then, like, two days later, somebody else in the office is like, oh, we actually don't need to do any of that because we're going to do it a different way. So it turns out I didn't need to keep my receipts or anything, and... I got paid last Friday was my payday. And of course I, because I didn't clock in or out for anything that I did for this conference, uh, my paycheck was like not very big because I was missing three days of work on it because, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So like that problem did not get solved. And I mean, I know like part of it is like me not knowing what to do, but the other part was like, I had, before I went on my conference, my boss had emailed the woman who does the timekeeping for our office and she did not email him back, which is great. Like, I feel like it is common ass common sense that if you work anywhere where you have an email for your job, you need to fucking read your emails and send emails back. Like it is that simple. And the woman who does the timekeeping for our entire division which she has a lot on her plate. She does a lot of work, but she does not reply to her emails very well. And so she didn't reply to his email about what I had to do whenever I was gone on my trip specifically. And then I get back. I didn't get paid. So I'm trying to figure out what the fuck to do about getting paid for this trip. And you would not think it's this complicated, but I like was looking in like our employee handbook about non-exempt employees and about overnight travel. Yeah. It's so fucking ridiculous. So I'm like, and I'm asking my coworkers and of course, like it's in the middle of summer right now is the week of July 4th. So like everybody is on vacation in my office. Like there's only about 10 people that I work with in my suite, but like, my boss was out for a day. Um, my boss's boss, who's kind of like in control of everything, has been gone for like a fucking week. And like some of the conduct officers are out, a bunch of like one of the uh, case managers is out this week. And so like my resources are limited. So today I was like, okay, I'm just going to call human resources. Like this is what I should have done from the start. So I call the HR department and like, no, nobody wants to call the HR department. That's like one of the like like least cool things you can do at any job. So I call them, and I'm like, I'm like, hey, I just have a really basic question. Like, I went on a business trip. I didn't get paid. Like, I don't know how the hours work. I've read the handbook, but I need some clarification on this. And then the lady's like, oh, I'm gonna send you to uh, to like uh, pay payroll, like the payroll department. And I was like, all right, perfect. So she forwards me to the payroll department. And I pick up, they pick up the phone and I do the same thing. I'm like, Hey, question. Uh, I have a general question about travel. I've never gone on a trip before. I just went on a trip. I don't know how I'm supposed to reconcile this, blah, blah, blah. This is what it says in the handbook, but that doesn't sound right. So I don't know. And she's like, have you talked to your timekeeper? And I'm like, uh, I emailed her, but she didn't email me back. And she's like, well, do you know who your timekeeper is? And I'm like, yes, I know who she is. She's like, okay, well you need to talk, you need to talk to her about that. And I'm like, okay, fine. Like, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll call her. So I suck it up and I call the lady that does timekeeping at my work. And of course she's not there. So I leave her a message and then she calls me back like an hour or two later. 
And I'm like, hey, you know, I went on this trip. Here's what the handbook says. I'm not really sure exactly what hours I should be logging for this because somebody in my department told me that um, I would only get paid the hours that I normally work during the office day. And because I work part time, I only work four hours a day. But that just didn't seem right to me because, like, I was working more than four hours for this trip and I was traveling exactly. a lot. Right, right, so right. So I was not like, free time. Yeah, yeah, I was totally. like, this can't, this can't be right. Like, I don't know how to, how to reconcile this. And so I ask her and she's like, well, actually, it's up to your boss. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, so I call, like, three people and then get redirected to my boss who was out doing DMV stuff today. And I love my boss. I don't want to make it sound like I don't like him because he's great. He's got my back. He's, he's a lovely dude. And so, but the funny thing here is I go back to my boss and I say, hey, you'll never guess what I came, what info I came upon today. Um, I found out that basically you get to, you have, like, the hammer, the decision that gets to decide how much I'm supposed to get paid for this business trip I went on. So, and he hasn't decided yet what he wants to do because he has to talk to his boss, who has been out all week on vacation, about what kind of funds we can allocate and what kind of budget we have to pay me the right hours because I was working more than my normal hours. But the kicker to this whole thing is that... If our timekeeper had emailed my boss back the week before I went on this business trip, this whole thing would have been resolved. But because she sucks at answering her emails, I had to call three different people and like talk to everyone in my office about how to do this just for the timekeeper to be like, oh, it's your boss's like it's ultimately up to him. And if she had just emailed him back, we could have we could have pre-solved this entire thing. And I probably could have gotten paid on time and paid correctly. Uh, what a clusterfuck, dude. Oh, my God. I mean, that sounds like a complete, like, bureaucratic nightmare. Like, I'm, I'm almost thinking, like, it sounds like some of those weird office movies, like like Office Space or like an like episode of The Office or something where you're just, like, getting in, you know, roundabout hell because no one knows and everybody's, like, passing the buck to somebody else. And meanwhile, like, you're starving because no one's going to pay you and all this shit. Like, ugh, ridiculous. It sounds fucking ridiculous. Also, I found it extremely interesting that you have levels of cool attached to your office duties so like calling hr <laughs> super not cool so like what's a cool thing you do at the office what's a good thing i mean i don't i don't know it's i just label calling hr not cool because i feel like hr is that kind of department where like anytime you call them or you like have to ask a question to them i just picture them on the other end of the line just like rolling their eyes and being like well, did you read the handbook or like, did you check with your boss or, you know, and them like not actually being there to answer your questions. So I just right, don't, right. I've, I don't know. I just never liked the idea of calling them. And plus it's weird. Cause like, like at target, for instance, when I worked there for years, like our human resources executive was in the building most days. So like we had a working relationship. I knew him. He was really cool. He was a great guy, but like at a private university, like the HR department isn't even in my building. Like, I don't even know who they are. I don't know what building they're in. I've probably seen one of them one time, maybe at orientation. So I would feel better if I had like a working relationship with them. But like, I don't even know who these people are. And I'm sure that totally, totally. Yeah. Every time they get questions like this, they're just like, oh my God, another this guy, like another dumb question. So yeah, it's just <laughs> not cool. I, to I totally imagine them like, secretly putting you on speaker and calling their employees <laughs> over and like making like the jack off sign in the air when they're talking to you. Like, <laughs> yes, that's probably oh, what happened today. <laughs> good times. Good times. They've got you. They got you on a list now of like, quote unquote, like troublemakers. Probably. The, the, oh, this guy, yeah. this guy's stirring the pot. Watch out for Corey Motley when he gets on the uh, phone. He doesn't even know how to take a fucking business trip. Like we need to fire <laughs> this guy immediately. 
fucking noob. Who who hired this guy? Oh my god. It's just so it's so stupid. It's like it's like people who don't work in office settings don't realize like and this is like such like a minor complaint, but it's like how much like stupid ass red tape you have to go through just to get any like this like all i'm trying to do is fucking get paid for a business trip that i went on three fucking weeks ago that i literally knew i was going to be going on since i got hired in january and somehow in those six months leading up to this and the three weeks after i still haven't gotten paid from it and it's just like all this dumb red tape and if that one lady had just answered her email this whole thing would have been over with but because she is a woman who works at a university who doesn't handle her email well. It just, like, drew it out into this long, stupid thing and still has not been resolved, but hopefully it will be resolved soon because I want to get paid, yo. I, You know, I hear that, man, and I, I feel for you so bad because I've, I mean, I've worked in many different places where there is some kind of, like, bureaucratic structure, and it is amazing how just one person can just fuck up like the chain for like everybody like you re- i mean you don't think so and everybody you know when you think about it basically human nature is like do as little work as possible and be as lazy as possible like i know some people don't believe that but like when i see people in corporate that's usually what goes down and so people are trying to do like the minimum or whatever and like one dude or lady not answering an email or somebody just like you know f- carrying the wrong number on a spreadsheet and not checking it because who fucking cares because it's five o'clock i gotta go I mean, it fucks things up for everybody, and it just sucks so badly how to achieve certain things we all as a species have to cooperate. But if not everybody is functioning at the same level, it is just like it is hell. It is hell and a nightmare and a pain in the ass. I mean, like a case in point. So oh, I feel for you, dude. Yeah, it's so stupid. But thank you for letting me vent and complain about my stupid day, calling everybody in my office trying to figure out how to fucking get paid. Oh, absolutely, man. I'm always up for uh, complaining, especially if it's about corporate America, because corporate <laughs> America is bullshit. So anytime you got some uh, venom dispute, feel free to uh, to, to let, it, let it go. We're, we're good on that. I'm sure it won't be the last time I'll have something to complain about at work. <laughs> right on, right on. All right, well, let me... Uh, what, what else you got for banter? What else? Anything else on the plate? I do, but why don't we back and forth it a little bit, and you, you tell okay. me something. Okay, so... Kind of crazy. I know, so I, we don't necessarily have to talk about this right now, but I know that I was uh, bitching and moaning on Twitter about not having enough game time, which I think is <laughs> definitely true. And, oh, uh, we can definitely talk about that at a, a later date. Hang on one second. My wife is leaving for the afternoon. I had to kiss her real quick while she's oh, walking out the door. That's cute. Silent, silent smooch. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so we can talk about that at a, uh, at a different time, because I feel like that's actually a pretty good topic I would like to discuss, like how we prioritize time and how games are valued in relation to the rest of our lives but in the meantime i will say that i have seen i don't even know how this even happened but i saw like a bunch of movies in between the last time that we talked um i never talked about the han solo movie did i or did i Mm, i don't know if you talked about this I don't think that I did because I still have it on my list of things to talk about. And I usually delete them after I talk about them. Um, I I saw actually three movies that I can talk about and I'll go through them real quick. We don't need to deep dive because I don't want to take up like a million years. But (laughs) first off, the Han Solo movie or just Solo colon a Star Wars story, as it's known uh, with the kids these days. Um, I know a lot of people have been bagging on it. And I mean, the whole Star Wars fandom right now is like a giant. Oh my god! Hot of just it diarrhea. It's terrible. It is the worst. It is the worst right now. And I don't. We don't need to talk about the whole thing. But wow, is Star Wars fandom like a giant smoking heap of shit right now? But <laughs> looking just at the Solo movie, I thought it was actually quite good. I was surprised. 
I never really wanted to know Han Solo's backstory. I kind of rolled my eyes when I heard that this was what they were going to do. And I, I, it had a lot of trouble in filming. They changed directors a couple times. A lot of script rewrites sounded like it was in trouble. I was bracing for the worst. And I got to say, it actually was pretty good. I, uh, I got used to the new actor being Han Solo pretty well. He vaguely looks like what you would think a young Han Solo would look like. I mean, he's not like a, a clone of Harrison Ford or anything. And it's fine that he's not. Um, and I thought it would be weird, but it, it stopped being weird pretty quick. And the script just had lots of action and they were kind of doing some heists and, you know, cool special effects. And I just liked everything that happened. I mean, it was good. It was good. I, I don't know why people were so down on it. I mean, I guess maybe there's a certain section of the fandom that just really wants a specific thing from Star Wars. And this is not that specific thing. And oh, my God. But it was a good film. If you want to look at a film for, you know, a little bit of escapism, two hours of explosions and thrills and near near misses and you know, aliens. I, you know, I'm just, I'm up for that light movie entertainment. I don't need to consider the human condition every time. And I thought it was really good. I thought it was a great addition. I'm surprised it did so poorly. I think that probably has to do more with the timing of it. And the PR I thought was really poor for this movie. Uh, because I don't know about you, but I thought this movie came out like three separate times before it actually, actually came out. Like I was like, Oh, is it out? Oh, it's not out. When's it coming out? I don't know. What's, oh, is it out now? Is it out now? No, it's not out now. Okay, never mind. Like, I just, I couldn't keep track of it the way that I do with other movies. I don't know if that was the fault of the advertisers, or maybe it was just in a bad period where a lot of other good movies were happening or whatever, but I thought it was really good, and I was kind of sad to hear that because this one didn't do a billion dollars that all of a sudden they're reconsidering all the other Star Wars spinoffs that they were talking about, because I would have been up for that. I'm, I'm fine with a Star Wars movie that doesn't advance the Skywalker mythology. I'm fine with something set in the universe or set in the galaxy, maybe using some of the same ideas, but using totally different characters. I'm okay with that. Like, I think these are fun movies and I had a great time. So I give it a thumbs up. I really enjoyed it a lot. You haven't seen it. Have you, or have you, I have not, I probably won't see it, but which is interesting. Cause I've seen, I'm not even really like a big star Wars fan, but I've seen all of the newest movies. Like I saw the force awakens. I saw rogue one. I saw, um, the Last Jedi, but I haven't seen Solo, nor did I really plan to. But I did see, like, it's weird because, like, the movie went through, like, development hell because they had a couple of directors on it, and then the directors got fired, um, and then Ron Howard took over directing it and kind of, like, you know, mishmashed the stuff that they had recorded before with the new stuff that he was doing. And I feel like that is kind of what really hurt this movie a lot was like the director transitioning and like the news getting out that they switched directors and that they were doing reshoots and all this stuff. Um, So like that probably wasn't, I mean, that obviously wasn't like good press for them, but I mean the word on the street that I had been seeing on Twitter, at least from people that I follow and respect was pretty much exactly what you said. They're like, yeah, it's not like reinventing the wheel, but this is like a really solid action movie in the star Wars universe. And it's sad to me that, I mean, I'm sure I don't have the numbers on me, but I'm sure it made enough money. I'm sure it didn't make like, I mean, it's not in like, you know, the top 10 money making movies of all time, but it's so sad to me that like a movie can do well and it can still be like, Oh, this we're not going to do anymore because this didn't do well enough, even though it probably made like, you know, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. But like, even though it, because it didn't do well enough, it's like, Oh, never mind. Like we're just going to shelve these for a while. 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I'm not really like a numbers guy. I'm not one of those guys that like looks up how much something made at the box office. But it just seems like the bar is getting raised like really too high. I mean, kind of like what was going on with AAA video games, where if it doesn't sell 50 million copies, then it's a failure. I mean, I think you can have a really solid hit and a really good movie without making a billion dollars at the box office, you know? So, I mean, from what I remember hearing, I think it was a financial success. Like, it didn't lose money. Um, and maybe, you know, it's probably not going to be anybody's favorite Star Wars movie, but I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. It came out much better than I expected. And I would totally recommend it if you are not one of those asshole Star Wars fans who is chasing people off of Twitter. Like, if you just like <laughs> the franchise and you're up for, like, a good two hours of action and fun, I think it's a great movie. I really liked it a lot. Um, so I saw a couple other movies. I will go through these really quick. I just saw The Incredibles 2 yesterday. Have you seen this? I have not. I also have not seen the first one. Okay. Um, and the Incredibles is weird. I'm not like... I mean, I like Pixar movies, but I don't like love them. Like, I, I, I've I, seen almost all of them, and I think they're all very good. But it's not like I have a lot of affection for them. And I think probably Incredibles is the, the perfect example. The first Incredibles I thought was actually a very, very good movie where it, it kind of looks at superheroes, but it also looks at husband and wife relationships. It also looks at, you know, personal self-esteem and how you value yourself in society. It also looks at parenting. I mean, it's, it's really more of a movie for grownups than it is for kids, but there's also action and there's also superheroes. I mean, it's a really smart, really well done movie. That said, I watched it one time really liked it and then i just ceased to give a fuck about it for the rest of eternity <laughs> i just forgot about it and i just don't ever really want to watch it again and i have nothing but good things to say about it but i just don't care about it does that sound weird like you like a movie and then you just fucking just have no further connection with it no i mean it makes perfect sense it happens to me with video games all the time and with movies like where i i can spend like 30 hours with a video game and I can totally enjoy it. And then as soon as I turn it off, I like completely forget about it. And I always remember it fondly like, Oh yeah, that was a pretty good game, but it just wasn't life changing or something that I would want to play or a movie, like a movie that I would want to watch over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I literally have nothing bad to say about it. So I saw the Incredibles two, and I wasn't excited to see it. Like I wasn't planning to see it, but <laughs> My in-laws are in town and we didn't have anything to do. And the thought of like sitting around and like trying to make conversation for a couple hours was like, oh, my God, we got to find something to do. So Gina, my wife, is like, oh, let's just go see a movie. We can chill out. It'll be cool. And we won't have to talk for two hours. I'm like, OK, fine. So we'll do that. And I mean, it was it was good. But I again, I just don't give a fuck about it. But it was still really good. <laughs> it was, you know, I mean, it was. I mean, it's like exactly what you expect. It's more it's more about the family. They do some superhero stuff. They talk about the role of women in the workplace and how women can have an identity apart from men and how that the dynamics of that. And then they talk about like perception versus reality in terms of today's media. I mean, there's like good issues that are going on and there's some good discussion and there's also some funny action. And I enjoyed it. But like, I just didn't feel touched or like it was relevant to me or like I even cared but it, it was a good movie like there was nothing wrong with that I thought it was really good I just didn't give a fuck and if I don't know it's hard it's hard to describe I walked out of the theater 10 minutes later I had totally forgotten I had seen it but I enjoyed the time that I spent there if that makes any sense <laughs> there's got to be like we need to invent a word for this or maybe there's a word out there to express this emotion because it's not foreign to me but it's hard to explain yeah, it's really difficult, and I'm not. I I don't want to sound bad on the movie at all. And I thought it was quite good, but I just, 
I just didn't care. Like, I just, I don't know why. I just, nothing about it really registered with me. So I do recommend it if you like the first Incredibles. The first Incredibles is really good, too. I think Pixar movies are really good. I just, I don't know. It just didn't, it's not something that's going to stick with me for whatever reason. And that's not to say that there's something bad about it. So anyway, I do give it a thumbs up. I thought it was enjoyable. Um, Now, the last one I want to talk about, Ocean's 8. Have you seen this? I haven't. I, I saw you tweet about it, so I already know what you think about it. But I'm interested in this movie, but I did not see it. So I was not interested in this either, but my wife really wanted to see it. Uh, and I'm like, okay, that's cool. You know, like we sometimes we both agree on a movie and we can just go and it's fine. Sometimes one of us wants to see one more than the other. And so, all right, you see this one and I'll go with you next time I get to pick and we'll go back and forth. Whatever. It's all it's all a, a process. So she really wanted to see Ocean's 8. I was not excited to see it, but I'm like, that's <laughs> fine. I'll go with you and whatever. Uh, that movie's terrible. It is a terrible <laughs> film. Um, I think it's awesome uh, that there is a movie where it's basically all women. It's all Supergirl power, and it's all, you know, Hollywood stars, which is cool. I'm all about having more women in movies, about having women lead movies, about having women, you know, traditionally take on roles that, you know, in the past would have been given to men. Like, I'm, I'm down. Like, I'm down. I love the girl power. Like, I'm all about the ladies. I love it. But this just was not a good movie. Like, it was just a very poor film, and I'll tell you why. Now, you already know this, but I'll repeat it for people who didn't see it on Twitter. Um, So this is a heist movie. Sandra Bullock plays a character who has just gotten out of prison after five years. The entire time she was in prison, she was concocting this scheme to rob a museum of these jewels. So she gets out. She has a plan. She collects her crew. Uh, Everybody in the crew joins up immediately with no fuss. She has the plan, and everybody agrees to the plan. They put wheels in motion. They execute the plan. The plan goes off without a hitch. There is no problems. They don't get caught. No one messes up. No one is a traitor or a backstabber. No one double-crosses anybody. They steal the jewels. They get rich. The end. Like, literally, that is exactly (laughs) what happens. There is no conflict. There is no danger. Now, it would have been nice to have a car chase or a gun battle or somebody punching somebody. Um, and if they wanted to avoid that, like I get it, that's fine. Um, but there was no action of any kind. No one was ever in danger of getting caught or there wasn't even any like close calls. I mean, this is a heist movie. And I think most people would agree that one of the good things about a heist movie is like when something goes wrong, like when the plan goes off the rails and then the people in the movie are scrambling to, improvise or to you know patch things up immediately or if somebody turns out to be a double crosser then there's like a wrinkle in the plan and something i mean that's what a heist movie is fucking all about like you don't watch a heist movie just to watch them say here's my plan we did the plan and now we're rich i mean that there's no conflict there and conflict is what movies are about whether it's person versus person person versus nature person versus politics i mean there's got to be some kind of tension or struggle or else what is the movie even about right um and so not only was there no tension and no danger and no action, there wasn't even any comedy. Like, there were no laughs in this movie. I was like, at the very least, please make me laugh because they have several talented uh, comedians. Like, Mindy Kaling is on the show, and I have, like, the biggest crush on Mindy Kaling. I love her so much. And then they had Aquafina, who is pretty funny, and they had... I mean, like, everybody in that movie was, like, a star of some sort, and it's like, there was nothing clever happening. There was no jokes There were no funny, like, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that. Wink, wink. I mean, there was, like, literally nothing was going on. They just, they got together. They talked about a bunch of stuff. They did the plan. The end. And I was like, I could, like, I got to the end of the movie, and I'm like, what even happened? Like, nothing even (laughs) happened. 
it was it blew me away how poor the script was and how what a dull movie it was so my problem is not that women were in this movie at all my problem is that the person who wrote this script had no idea what makes a good movie especially not a good heist movie i thought it was a terrible film i thought it was extremely boring and i do not recommend well you know something that bothers me about this whole like because I mean, obviously, I'm in I'm in the same boat as you. I mean, I enjoy seeing uh, women-led films. I'm all for the idea of like uh, women, you know, doing the whole like gender reversal thing for movies and stuff. But something that bothers me a little bit is whenever you have a situation like this, and the movie is full of women. It's all about like women empowerment. It's the whole like gender role reversal thing of a movie that's come before it. But whenever it's written and directed by a man like that is something that bothers me a lot and i'm not saying that like men shouldn't be allowed to direct movies with women in them i mean that's been happening since like the beginning of movies but i feel like if you're gonna really like try to hit a home run like at least hire a woman director have a woman be more than one of the screenwriters on it because oceans eight it was written by five people one of them is a woman and it's like i i i just don't like this idea of like it's it's just like this whole like powerful men thing where it's like we're gonna have these dudes who are like parading these women around but it's still like the men who are in charge like the men who are directing it the men who are producing it the men who are um who are writing it and i mean yeah it's not to say that if a woman directed this and and like five women wrote it like that it would be funny because maybe it wouldn't be maybe it still wouldn't be a good movie but when you have men writing and directing for a group of women and then putting it out there as like a female empowerment film, that does not sit well with me. And it just bothers me. I mean, I agree. I mean, I, I think that men can direct women, women can direct men either way. But in this particular case, it just seemed like such a weird mishmash. And especially for something like this, which was very much hyped to be like, hey, this is a ladies film. Ladies are doing it for themselves. This is girl power. And we're not going to be naked and we're going to be, we're going to be in all the big roles. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. But yeah, I mean, I think you're onto something there because there was just some kind of really fundamental disconnect between like, like the raw star power. They had like, like literally every big leading lady in Hollywood was in this film and the movie was inert. It was so DOA. <laughs> I mean, the, either the dude had no idea what to do with these ladies or they just couldn't punch up the script. I mean, something about that was wrong. I, I mean, I, they would have probably done better to have, a really smart lady. I mean, there's plenty of good women directors in Hollywood. They could have had one of those and hopefully, I mean, it wouldn't have been worse. It could not have been worse. <laughs> it, it could have only been better. Um, so yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It's just, ugh, what a, what a bad movie. And it, it sucks because it would have been amazing if this movie had been great because then it would have just been one more piece of evidence that women are great in movies. They don't need to always be second fiddle, but, it, but this movie sucks. And I'm, I, it sucks that people will be like, this movie's terrible. And I think a lot of people will probably say, you know, because of women, but I don't think it was because of women. It was like poor direction, poor script. So, eh, eh, eh. Like, eh. the whole thing was just like a real clusterfuck. It's just really too bad. <laughs> really too bad. Uh, I'm really sorry to hear that. Oh, I am sorry to tell you. But. Okay, so those are my three Those are my three movie things. You said you had something left on your agenda. What else is on your banter, your banter plate? Um, I have one more thing. And this happened like a week ago so my my memory of it will already be fuzzy because i'm not good at remembering things that far back but i went to my first democratic socialists of america new orleans chapter meeting last week 
Oh, okay. So how was that? Um, well, I so this was more of like Patrick wanted to go and I went with him. That's not to say I'm not interested because I'm definitely interested in like socialism and stuff like that. Um, and like democratic socialists and whatnot. Cause like the DSA is kind of doing a lot of, um, you know, big things to forward socialist movements in the United States. And Patrick had been expressing interest in wanting to go for a few weeks. And we went to a, they had a committee meeting and neither of us really knew what we were like getting ourselves into whenever we went. Um, but we went to a, I think it was called the political education committee, if I'm not mistaken, um, and they have several different committees, all of uh, which we didn't really know what they were until we got there. So we get to this meeting. We have no idea how many people are going to be there. Like, you know, we were worried that it was going to be like us and like two other people or that it was going to be us and like 150 people. Like we had no idea what we were getting into. So they have a meeting at this church, like during its off hours in one of the conference rooms. We go and it ends up being like when we walk in, it's us and two other people. And we're like, oh, God, like this is going to be weird because neither of us know anything about anything. And these people are going to think we're like lifetime members and want to like, you know, pay a bunch of dues and sign up for life and all that stuff. But luckily, after a little bit, a few more people showed up. So it was about maybe like 10 people or so. And there were about five of us there that it was our first meeting. And you could tell that all of us, that it was our first meeting, we really had no idea what was going on because basically the committee meeting was them like planning future stuff for future meetings. And it wasn't, oh God, yes, yeah, yes, yes. it was not like a good point of entry for us to go for our first meeting, but I'm guessing I didn't look up the, the chapter info or anything before we went. Like I kind of depended on Patrick to get all that sorted out and he either, didn't put enough time into researching it or he just said hey there's a meeting tonight i saw it on twitter let's go like what can we lose and so it ended up being kind of weird because it was like uh like half the people there were like really serious and you could tell that the, like there were two co-chairs um who were like running the meeting and they were like you know i mean it was like it was kind of like comedically serious because like one of the guys who was running it looked like he was about 22 and he would like literally do like like motions like he'd be like oh like you know can i get a raise of hands for people who want to accept this proposal does anybody reject it does anybody have any thoughts and it was just very like formal and like kind of a hilarious way especially because the guy the one of the coaches looks so young it just made it funnier for me um and he, like, like at the beginning of the meeting, he, like, brought up to the other co-chair. They had, like, little handouts that had the agenda on it. And he was, like, talking about moving, like, the agenda items around. And he was taking it, like, so seriously. He was, like, oh, you know, I motioned to move the, the agenda items around. Like, does anybody, um, does anybody have any, like, input or something? Like, does anybody? He, just the way he worded it was so, like, official. And it just cracked me up because he probably could have just been, like, hey, I'd rather discuss them in this order, and it would have been over and done with. But he was, like, very official about it. Um, and so, I mean, I, we, I didn't really, like, learn a whole lot. Like, I once we got toward the end of the meeting, um, there was, like, one guy in there that was asking a bunch of questions who was new. And I was very thankful that he was asking a bunch of questions because, like, they were the kind of questions that I wanted to ask, but he was just asking them first. So I didn't look like the silly guy in the room. But toward the end of the meeting, I raised my hand and I was like, okay, I was like, can we just, I was like, this seems like a good opportunity to just talk about like 
how many committees there are, what the hierarchy is, like what what's going on here, like who everybody is, like what what chapters there are, wh when everybody meets. And so like toward the very end of the meeting, they like finally broke everything down, which they should have done at the very beginning, given how many new people were there. Um, but I don't know. It was like interesting. And I guess on Mondays, like on the first Monday of the month, they have like their general meetings that have everybody in them. And that that's the meeting that like Patrick and I probably should have gone to. Um, to start because it would have been like everybody there and I think that Patrick and I and like one other couple that were there were kind of under the impression that the meeting was going to be focused more on like I don't know on just like like radical socialism you know like like you know taking to the streets and you know doing like getting people into socialism and like that kind of stuff but it really like wasn't like that at all so it didn't seem like they were trying to like super actively recruit, which I thought was interesting, but I also don't think the committee we went to, that was like their job to do that. Like, you know, they were the political education committee, so they weren't really like part of like a recruiting committee or like recruiters or anything like that. So uh, we were just kind of in over our heads a little bit, but the interesting thing, the most interesting thing, and this is not even like super related is that one of the guys, one of the co-chairs from it, not the, the serious young guy, but there's another guy Whenever we first went around the room and introduced ourselves and kind of talked a little bit about our background, um, he introduced himself and he said that his last name was Pren, P-R-E-H-N. And I was like, huh, that last name seems awfully familiar. And it turns out, and I discovered this after the meeting, that he is the brother of Michael Pren, your... Uh, What's the game that you played all the time with them? Warframe, um, yeah, Warframe, Guru Warframe friend. Yeah, and I talk yep. to him on Twitter every once in a while now. And so, like, I DM'd him on Twitter, and I was like, "Uh, you wouldn't happen to have like a, yeah, relative who might be in the DSA?" And so, like, we kind of came to the conclusion together. And I just thought that was so funny. It was like such a small world moment, and it took like I, I just wanted to like tap him on the shoulder in the meeting and be, and be like, "Hey, hey." your brother listens to my podcast. Like, cause I just thought that would've been so funny, but it was just such like a small world moment. Cause I knew that Michael lived close to new Orleans. So he doesn't, I don't think yeah, he lives yeah. in new Orleans, but he's like somewhere in the area. Um, yeah. And so his brother is a co-chair of a DSA committee. And I just thought that was such an interesting, like small world moment for me. That is hilarious. That is hilarious. I mean, yeah, totally small world. I mean, who knew that like, the guy who taught me basically everything I know about Warframe ended up having a brother who was in the DSA who you met that man. I mean, talk about like, you know, seven, six degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever. Like totally like that's amazing. That is amazing. It's funny. You bring up. Ah, sorry. It's knocked a bunch of shit over. Sorry. Apologies. Um, it's fine. I'm okay. It's fine. Uh, it's funny that you bring up uh, the DSA though, because I don't, I don't think I ever mentioned it, but uh, we went to a DSA meeting a while ago. Uh, I think David Roberts uh, was working from Games Radar. I don't know what I don't know what he's doing now. David Roberts is a cool guy. David Robots, uh, you mean? David Robots Roberts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a nice guy. Um, like that dude a lot. Uh, but he is involved in the DSA uh, pretty heavily, and he got me to go to one of the meetings. Which I mean, I'm all for it. Basically, I mean, I think the system of government in America is really corrupt and broken, and we need to really revise things and get things going. And you know, there's got to be a better way, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm all about that. Um, and we went to kind of check it out. And like literally like everything you said, I could have said the exact same thing about my same meeting. Like it was just we went expecting like, I don't know. I mean, not like people would be like wearing bandanas and filling Molotov cocktails or anything. But like we thought we'd be talking about like big issues and stuff. And it seemed like a lot of really overly serious people who were following like the 
parliamentary process or whatever, like I nominate this and I move to do this and do we have a second and all that shit, which I mean, okay, fine. I mean, you got to run the meeting and I get you don't want chaos all the time, uh, but it just was really weird. Like we were sitting there, they didn't seem to be really talking about anything and it was all about the procedure and we're, I mean, it kind of felt like they were, like you said, like they were setting, the meeting was to get ready for more meetings and they weren't really <laughs> talking about anything. And everybody just, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of really good people in the DSA. I don't know them all personally, but it's like when we were there, it was like, oh my God, you guys seem really weird and very serious. And like, I just, I, I was like, I, the vibe in here is not right for me. Like, I'm happy to show up at a protest or I will vote for something or I will sign your petition or whatever. But like, I just couldn't see myself going to another one of those meetings with everybody being like so deadly dull and like sitting through three hours of like, do you motion to vote? Yes. Who seconds? And oh, we got to vote. And then we got a quorum. And I'm like, Oh my God, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. So yeah. Um, do you guys think you're going to be involved on some level or go back or what was your final, final thoughts? Um, I think we're still figuring that out because we did not go last Monday was the, fr the first general meeting we could have gone to since it. And we did not go, even though Patrick asked me and I told him, I was like, you know, I was like, I'm really indifferent. Like, I don't care if we go. I don't care if we don't go. Like, if you want to go, I'll be happy to go with you. And whenever he got home from work that day, I was napping on the couch. And I think he took that as like, a, oh, you know, never mind. We just, you know, won't bother right now. I mean, it's not to say that we won't go in the future. Um, but it's just such an interesting, like, striking contrast to, like, socialist Twitter. Because, like, everybody who's on Twitter who, like, identifies with socialism is very, like, like, you know, fuck the system and, you know, burn everything down and give everybody health care. And then you go to a meeting and it's like this super. And like you said, like, of course, there has to be order. Like they have to have their, you know, meeting notes and their procedures and everything. But it was just weird how like super formal and like not very like passionate it seemed because that's like the exact opposite of what totally. you see. is like socialism on social networks. So I don't know. It was pretty fascinating. And, then you know, it occurred to me that like. You know, I've been voting Democrat for, like, however many years. And, you know, it's not like I ever go to, like, a Democratic meeting or anything. So it's not like you, like, have to go to DSA meetings in order to, you know, identify as, like, a Democratic socialist or, like, want to push for socialism in the States. So it's not like it's something you have to do. But it just seems like the right thing to do. But it was just a strange experience for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree. I think people like us need to take action. We need to stand up for ourselves. And we need to not you know, let the old guard have their way. I mean, I think there's a lot of really bad things on the cusp of happening right now. And I think that America is in a really dire place. Like we're right on the precipice of things getting really, really, really fucking bad. So everybody who is a good person needs to stand up and do something. So I'm all about that for sure. But I just didn't get the sense that I was doing anything by sitting in a meeting, having a lot of people stare bored and then we're voting on <laughs> who's going to collect the money to make bumper stickers for the next month meeting. Like I was like, we've got this does not feel like a good use of my time i feel like there's got to be something else we could be doing and i get the organization is important etc cetera, etc cetera, but i just i don't know maybe i went on the wrong meeting night or maybe who knows but yeah i'm right with you i just i felt like i just wasn't feeling the energy there so anyway i do support that stuff in general and uh etc etc so uh i don't think i have anything else really worth talking about you got anything else to banter about i don't think so i think that's everything for me all right, this feels like a pretty good banter section for me. I think we should probably talk about some games. I think so, too. Let's talk about some games! Games! 